our podcast this week, we're living the life of Riley as Radioactive star Sam Riley talks about that film and more. Plus, the usual news and nonsense on the movie podcast that changed his password to avoid the Twitter hack and, as a result, has now been locked out of its own account. It's like 10,000 spoons when all you need is a knife. It's meeting a man of my dreams and then meeting... His beautiful wife. Hello, Pod. I'm Alanis Hewitt, and welcome to the Empire Podcast. This week, we're joined by three colleagues of such lethal cunning, all of whom have access to their own Twitter account, still the absolute bastards. Uh, at Helen L. O'Hara is here. How are you? Hello. I'm fine, thank you. I was late, but otherwise I'm fine. Yeah, you got a good excuse. Can we say why you were late? I was late because... Um, uh uh, uh, I had an interview with an actor, and that actor had been told a different time for the interview than I had been told. A female actor. A female actor, yes, who was a delight, um, mm-hmm. and uh, and yes, so all is well. Any more clues, or is that it? I feel like that's probably a. I, th- I feel like you dropped enough clues last week, to be honest. So. Yes, I wouldn't want to drop any more clues, uh, lest uh, the someone loses the X factor. See what I mean? See what I mean? Oh, I see. Okay, yeah. All right, it took a minute. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Got it? Okay. Yep. Mm -hmm. At, regrettably, at James C. Dyer is also here, which is nice, I guess. It's really funny, actually. I got up this morning and Twitter just seemed like a better place today. And I couldn't quite pin down why that was. Like the tone had been raised. It was happier. There were bunnies and birds singing. It was lovely. Hashtag bellend. (laughs) Hashtag go F yourself. I'm currently locked in negotiations with Twitter to try and re- re- reinstate my account because basically I have several different accounts and there's been a lot of confusion about emails and passwords and all sorts of stuff. And so, uh, oh dear. You, you were hacked into last night and you promised readers that uh, every time they sent you a star rating, you would return it to them doubled. <laughs> yes, which so is what happened with Attack of Clones, I believe. And last but not least this week, the rotating fourth chair is occupied by a brand new set of Patoks. Uh, in this case, <laughs> making his debut on the Emperor podcast is the host of the wonderful Flix Watcher podcast, Kobe Amanaka. How are you, sir? I'm very good. Thank you very much. Thank you for sending the, the revolving chair. I didn't actually realize you're going to deliver it to my house. I was just yeah, it's a real problem actually yeah. for sound because uh, you know, you're only at the microphone for like one in every 60 seconds and then you're just from the beginning of Thor Ragnarok around again getting further away from the mic and then back around again and then and then the thing and I, I love this movie oh god that's basically how it works but you know still how are you I'm very good I'm very good thank you very much for inviting me uh, I'm glad I've amassed enough lethal cunning to join you guys in the in the in the studio yeah it's like nectar points uh, <laughs> gradually over time you now have 10,000 lethal cunning points, and uh, and here you are. Uh, and you're on Twitter as well, Kobe, which is, uh, frankly, a disgrace. Uh, I'm not on Twitter, but everyone else is. That's right, at Kobestar, K-O-B-E-S-T-A-R-R. Please do yeah. follow me. Do follow him, or, or block him. Block him, you can block James. <laughs> yeah, can block block him. <laughs> Absolutely, you know. Until I come back. As a, as a sign of protest, we should all stand in solidarity until my Twitter account is reinstated. I, that's just... Should we? Just, I think we should. I think we should. Uh, but Kobe... You, you know, I said you're the, the, the host, and co-host of the Flix Watcher podcast, Indeed. but you've got loads of other strings to your bow as well. Uh, in case the, the people listening to this haven't heard any of your podcasts, because you do several podcasts, 
tell tell the lovely people about about yourself and your pods. Well, thank you very much. Uh, so, Flix Watcher Podcast is myself and co-host Helen, and we invite lovely people such Not as me. all all three of yeah, you different guys. Helen. Different uh, Helen. Di- sorry, different <laughs> Helen. Yeah, different <laughs> Helen. Helen Sadler. Helen Cat, as she likes to be known, uh, because she <laughs> loves cats. Um, me and my co-host Helen. We talk. Uh, we invite other film people, podcasters, and people who we just like to talk about uh, films which they've chosen on Netflix. So, if you've ever, if you have Netflix and don't know what film to watch, then our podcast is great for yourselves. And you guys have. Um, you guys have been on recently, and I think the most one of the most recent episodes we had was that's gone out live. Is the um, the fugitive, which is your choice, Chris? Yeah, the fugitive. And then I saw your next episode was the the Lincoln lawyer, and I immediately was filled with deep regret because <laughs> I, I love the Lincoln lawyer like intensely, but I, I also think- love the fugitive. I think you always get that. You always have people who've got like a list of five, and then they choose one, and they instantly get like buyer's remorse of like, oh, I should have chosen the other one. Um, yeah. But you know, we can come on again. You can't choose a Lincoln lawyer, but there's other Matthew McConaughey, McConaughey flicks that I'm sure you can maybe pick if that's why you're a big fan of the Lincoln lawyer. No, I just I love I love really efficient kind of B movie thrillers, and the Lincoln <laughs> Lawyer is absolutely in my wheelhouse for that. It's the sort of movie that they don't really make anymore, uh, which is really weird because it's only what nine years old. It was two thousand eleven, yes, wasn't very it? Very recent, very recent. Yeah. It's, it's a really good film. It's really really good fun. Um, but yeah, guys, absolutely. And the other main podcast mm. I do where I host on is uh, The Wire Strips, where myself and Dave Corkery, who's been in this podcast under the guise of the cinema with yourselves, um, mm. we talk about the TV show The Wire, uh, which is the greatest TV show ever. Shush, James. Um, <laughs> no, it is. It is. <laughs> Wesley may be my favourite, but I maintain The Wire is probably the greatest. <laughs> um, yeah, we go through each episode of, of, the, of The Wire, and it's as simple as that. Myself and Dave and the whole host of the cast and crew and people who are involved in the show and fans uh, talk about talk about each aspect of the show in great detail and it's great fun Mm. and they're actually properly you know edited and conceived podcasts that do you know they they drop in clips and they they play around with with chronology and all sorts of stuff and so unlike us where we just kind of splurge it out in one great (laughs) you know big sitting these are these are proper podcasts made by proper people so uh, highly recommended both thank you very much I wasn't talking about you, Kobe. I was oh, uh, sure. <laughs> <laughs> your wonderful co-host, obviously. Um, but yeah, thanks for thanks for coming in. Thanks for thanks for doing this. How are you doing with lockdown? How's how's lockdown treating you? Lockdown's actually. I was thinking. I was thinking a couple of days ago that it's obviously it's been like what nearly four months now, nearly four years. I don't know. Um, it's hard to tell. You get that kind of feeling that nothing's happened. But also, when I take stock, I'm like, actually, a lot's happened. And mm. I mean, me personally, I've had a kids arrived in my in my flat. Um, didn't invite Did you order one for Amazon? Is it, was, <laughs> Amazon Prime now. What, what happened? You just panic buying and then you got a kid. That's what, <laughs> just, it was to stop panicking kids. Yeah, exactly. Just, did we order a child? Um, and yeah, one arrived and we kept it. <laughs> it was like you, you ordered some beans, but they, they were out of beans, so they swapped in a but kid instead. The, substitute, mm. the, the ultimate substitute, a human <laughs> being. But yes, yeah, it's, it's been good. Disney Plus has arrived in that time as well, so that's filled me with with. Uh, effortless glee in lots of different ways um, and been watching lots of TV and even though I'm not getting much sleep so it's been it's been fun and eventful oh and Liverpool won as well the league that's another Liverpool thing. won but the league but you've, you've, talk, you've talked about that genuinely I really haven't mm. talked about it that much in this podcast <laughs> I really haven't uh, and uh, you know I'm, I'm still kind of toying with plans of doing uh, Chris Hewitt's uh, terribly self-indulgent Liverpool title winning podcast type thing but uh, I don't know we'll see we shall see it was a good idea at the time but it feels like far too much like hard work <laughs> loads of interviews and loads of editing I'm not so sure about it now but uh, but yeah it's 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 great I mean, 
It's interesting. The last time James and I saw you was on Squadcast when we did uh, the Flix Watcher. That's right. And your beard since then, that was at least three months ago now. And it's, your beard since then is resplendent. Gone full cast away. I've got, I've got COVID beard, yes. Uh, much <laughs> to the chagrin of my wife. But I feel it's an opportunity to explore you know, your new self. Um, I think it's like <laughs> like two inches in some place. <laughs> I'm not sure how to deal with it. I was thinking because obviously you, you guys you chose the fugitive, and there's that scene where he cuts his beard off, and so yeah, I've, do that. So I've got that. I know how to cut it down when that happens in a petrol station bathroom. Exactly. Just go up to the mirror with a pair of scissors and <laughs> just snip it all that's off. That's exactly the way to do it. Don't go to yeah. a barber because um, you know COVID. <laughs> but I can go to a petrol station and with it at, at, lit by like a match light, uh, hack my beard away, and I will look great. I'm sure afterwards. Yes. yes. Yeah. Well, every time I've seen it done, it's ended up looking like Harrison Ford. So, <laughs> you know, it's no bad option. That's how that happens. You, you, you don't just miss massive, great big clumps, and you know, <laughs> you start cutting yourself, and there's blood everywhere. Uh, anyway, <laughs> so, <laughs> hey, should we have a podcast? Let's have a podcast. Let's get into it. Uh, let's get straight into it. No, no faffing around this week. We're going to go straight into the podcast, and uh, we're going to start with the film fact section. Uh, <gasps> oh yes, Helen has given me a thumbs up, which means that she has got a film fact. She did not have a film fact when we started recording this podcast, but now she has a film fact. Just pull the curtain back for you guys a little bit there <laughs> but um, it's, it's just a formality isn't it helen just needs to present a fact to win like she in fact you probably don't even need a fact not i don't have a fact and that is my fact because like and helen is the winner hey, hey. No, J- jimbo you're you're just bitter because you seem you see you think i move the goalposts every week so you can't win like you could come in with a you could come up with a fact that literally cures cancer and i go <laughs> I'm not sure about that one, Jimbo. Uh, yeah, I may have to give the point to. Let me just see my notes here. Literally anyone else. But that's, yeah. that's not always the case. Uh, your facts. Usually you get disqualified uh, because it's some sort of it's some sort of TV fact or a listener is living in your walls and has whispered it to you in the middle of the night, something like that. Um, but because I'm not on Twitter, I can't check whether people have been slipping you facts. So Jimbo, I'm going to come to you first this week. Okay, set out your stall. Win this week. Oh. God, this is a, this is a quite a short, dare I say, phoned in fact, uh, which I didn't get off Twitter though. So at least there's that. Uh, <laughs> Did so you get what a, I want a book. <laughs> I got it from a book. <laughs> um, yes. So I want to talk about The Lion King, specifically the film's hero. I refer, of course, to Jeremy Irons' Scar, the true hero of the film. Now, one Such of the highlights villain. of that film for me has always been Scar's musical number, Be Prepared. I think we can all agree it's one of the highlights of the soundtrack. It's great. It's brilliant. Irons absolutely nails it because he has that sinuous, evil voice that he does. Love it. Love it. Love it. Um, <laughs> however, what I discovered at some point <laughs> was that he doesn't actually sing it. So essentially what happened was it's actually sung by Winnie the Pooh. So what happened, Jeremy Irons had some vocal issues. He ended up having sort of uh, some voice problems while he was recording the soundtrack of the film, while he was doing the voiceover. And while doing that song, he had begun to do the song, but he had not finished recording the song and he was unable to finish it. So why? So with him, because uh, his voice how, wasn't up to it. I think his voice was, was struggling. It's not a he, difficult song to sing. He was not prepared, I think, was the problem. Um, so he'd done about two-thirds of it, but the last bit he couldn't nail. So Disney called Winnie the Pooh himself, Jim Cummings, the voice of Pooh, and had him come in to finish the song. Now, some people maintain that if you listen very carefully, you can hear the shift in voice after the line, you won't get a sniff out of me, but I'm not convinced yeah, that's true because I listen to it. Yeah, because it goes, be prepared. <laughs> 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 sounds, sounds like Winnie the Pooh. 
Yeah, but um, he also, interesting side note, Jim Cummings also does Scar's voice in the dream sequence in Lion King 2, Simba's Pride. So he got to, clearly did it very well because he got to reprise the performance there. But it's not the first time Cummings has been parachuted in to do this. He calls it stunt singing. Um, so he did it on... Um, uh, Christopher Lloyd was having difficulty with uh, with uh, one of the Rasputin songs and Anastasia, so he came in and he did that. He came in to Pocahontas because Russell Means was struggling with his song as well. So he comes in, he sings the song, and then he fucks off again. And that is Winnie the Pooh's MO. Back to the Hundred Acre Wood. Indeed, indeed. You know, I don't, I don't quite know what Piglet and Tigger do. Perhaps they were in Hamilton. It's un- unclear to me. <laughs> well, but, uh, the wonderful thing but about that is my fact. Tigger's a wonderful thing. Its top is made out of rubber. Its bottom is made out of a string. It's bouncy, 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 fun, fun, fun. Um, but the most wonderful thing about Tiggers is that I'm the only one. I'm the only one. Okay. I mean, uh, there was wow. a Muppet version of Hamilton that came out last week. Oh, my week, God. Um, no. Which is no. inspired. No. So, Kill it you know, with why fire. not? Oh, Kill come it with on. Fire. Oh, come Kill on. Kill it with fire. I've only heard the first, the first song. <laughs> no, 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 no. I loved everything about it. And then that abomination of a new Kermit opened yeah, the its Kermit mouth wrong. and it needs to be it's, it's flung into the sun. It's not a new Kermit, it's a guy doing a, an impression, isn't it, of all the Muppets? Is it it's not one the person? new Kermit. Oh, yeah. thank God, thank God. No. But even so, even yeah, so. I know, his Kermit is not new Kermit. Oh my God. The, but the actual new Kermit, the official new Kermit, because the old Kermit got the... Uh, because uh, old Kermit was on this podcast before he got the... Uh, uh, yeah, that wasn't why he um, got... Uh, uh, he got... Uh, uh, because of... Uh, and uh, you know, various... <laughs> You know, <laughs> so old Kermit went, and they brought in a new Kermit, and uh, it sounds like someone has just not even heard what Kermit sounds like. It's just, it sounds like they just read the Wikipedia page and went, "Oh, that's what he sounds like," I guess. So, and I've just tried to do an approximation of Kermit, and it sounds like the worst thing ever. It's just appalling, appalling. And the Kermit in the Hamilton thing is so bad, I couldn't listen to the rest. Yeah, I just basically skipped to the bits where it was um, Beaker. Or the Swedish chef. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Have you heard the Hamilton West Wing rap? Yes. Where no. Lynn did uh, a little a little West Wing themed rap for the West Wing Weekly podcast. I tweeted it out this week. It's been around for years, but uh, a lot of people, I think, haven't seen it. But it's uh, it's great. And obviously, I have a newfound appreciation for it now that I am a Hamil fan. Or whatever it is you call yourselves. Whatever. One of them. <laughs> uh, which is quite good. All right. Well, listen, we've far too much to talk about Hamilton, quite frankly. Um, that'll be it for this podcast, that's for sure. Uh, Jimbo, is that your fact? That's my fact. That's, that's fact. what I've got for okay. you. Okay, the, the defence rests. Uh, Kobe? I do have a fact. As the rotating fourth chair, step up to the plate. Thank you very much. Uh, yes, my fact is, based off of watching lots of TV um, in, in lockdown, Disney Plus arrived in lockdown and meant I could revisit a lot of films I hadn't seen for a while. And one of them being... Who Friend Roger Rabbit, which was one of my favourite films oh, as a kid, and I'm not seeing it for like a decade. Um, and watching it reminded me of a fact that I learnt um, doing a film quiz a few years ago. And that fact was... Um, the weasels aren't real. <laughs> the weasels are not real. Shit, you know what? the fact. I lose. What? And that was this film, Who Friend Roger Rabbit, which is about uh, a fictionalised Los Angeles where there's real people, quote-unquote, that... Uh, coexist with tunes, quote-unquote, was mm-hmm. not conceived as an original film. This was actually conceived as a sequel to one of the most famous and highly regarded films ever, Chinatown 2. And when you can, when you actually um, look back, when you actually think about the film and the storyline, they can actually see the lineage of it. And it was, it, this was supposed to be Chinatown 3, and then it was 
flip reversed into into the story with Eddie Valiant as the private detective taking obviously um, the kind of Jake, um, Jack Nicholson role. And you can see all the DNA strands going through there. And when I found that out, I was like, that's actually amazing. And this mm-hmm. kind of led me down a little trail. So if you will indulge me, I've got mm-hmm. a few more films uh, which mm-hmm. were conceived as sequels, but then spun out into their own films. And if you if you want to play along, sorry, uh, Chris, oh, no. I, yeah, I, yeah, I, yeah. I spoiled yeah, yeah. you. I spoiled you from the first one. Um, the first one is, and I've got, I have got multiple choice for these ones. So if you want to have a guess, or then I can revert to multiple choice before going giving you the answer. Well, it's um, not a quiz as well as having this, to have a fact. This is the worst. Sorry, guys. <laughs> sorry, guys. Did everyone bring the song this week? Uh, I just wanted to. I've got my song. Okay, good. Jim's got his guitar. Um, I do. So the first one is The Hateful Eight. Can anyone guess what that was supposed to be a sequel to? Toy Story 3. <laughs> no. The Hateful Seven. Do you want me to give you the, the multiple choices? The, the Joyful sure. Eight. The multiple choice uh, options I've come up with are Jackie Brown, Goodfellas, uh-huh. or Django Unchained. Well, Django. the only one that makes sense is Django Unchained, surely, right? It is, yes. So that's okay. that's an easiest one to start with. Die Hard was originally supposed to be a sequel to what film? Uh-uh. Urban Myth Alert. Urban <laughs> Myth Alert. If you're about to say Commando, you are wildly off base. I wasn't going to say Commando, but there, okay. I, there is also... Uh, uh, the Detective. Uh, it, this is true. Yes, it is a sequel yeah. to The Detective. Um, Predator. Huh. Would you like the multiple choice answers? Sure. The Detective. So, the multiple choice are <laughs> Good Ro- Rocky IV, Rambo what? First Blood Part Two, or Jaws. <laughs> Rambo. <laughs> Sorry, what the fuck is going on? Um, <laughs> Jaws. No, it's Rocky Four. It's supposed oh, to be. <laughs> hang on. The conception on. was they wanted hang to on. see what it'd be like for Rocky to fight an alien, and then that spun off into into Predator. What? That's what the whole conceit was. What are you talking about? Where are you what? getting this from? Going, I believe you, you, you've, you've missed the key part of the fact section, whereupon it is based around facts. This is true. You can dig deep. You can dig deep into this. Have, you been, on the, have you been on the dark web again? What? I have, yes, the what? onion web, the onion router. Is this what happened when you ordered stuff from Sainsbury's? Again, you ordered beans and you got a kid, so you ordered some tomato soup, this. and yeah, instead exactly. they gave you some bullshit facts. <laughs> this is this is this is very viable. Okay. This has got okay. blue tint next to it. <laughs> Do you want to finish on one more? Sure. <laughs> Why not? Um, let's go for Minority Report. Majority Ooh. Report? <laughs> <laughs> minority you Report. The worst, I think, I think I, Blade Runner. I get where you're going there, but it's Total Recall. Um, total Recall! Based on a Philip K. Oh, Dick. You're such a dick <laughs> sorry yeah harsh I, I wish i i wish that someone could remember that for me wholesale uh that, that would have been nice um i did know the chinatown thing though i was just about to stop you and go chinatown so uh, hell's bells with your fact that has been put together at short notice uh is the winner helen is the winner <laughs> i don't even need to listen to it no what is it what have you got uh, no it is it's about uh jodorowsky's dune uh, i don't know why i'm thinking about dune this week no reason um but obviously mm-hmm. Frank Herbert's uh, novel was published in the 60s, was this massive hit, really kind of hit with both the hippies and the kind of sci-fi fans of the time. It's kind of, um, if we're being incredibly reductive, we'd call it the sci-fi Lord of the Rings, which obviously we wouldn't we would never do. But 
Come the <laughs> 70s, 1974, a French consortium bought the rights to the film and set up Alejandro Jodorowsky. So he had big ambitions for Dune. He thought that the film should be 14 hours long. His script was apparently inches thick. <laughs> um, it, he was willing to go down to 11 or 12 hours to like, you know, really um, sort of go, go along and, and be commercial, but he yeah, thought it should be cheap 14 seats, hours. Right? Yeah. So, yeah, exactly, yeah. you know. Um, but what's amazing are the collaborators that he set up to do this. And I feel like this is worth talking about for a minute because he approached Pink Floyd to do the mm -hmm. music. Mm-hmm. He got H.R. Geiger of Alien fame, Chris Foss of every sci-fi book cover you've ever read fame, mm -hmm. and Jean Giraud, the famous French comic book artist, to design the sets, design the, the ships, design everything else. Um, he got Dan O'Brien for the special effects. And um, But the, the fact I wanted to talk about, little tiny one, is Salvador Dali. He, he hired the surrealist art artist Salvador Dali to play the Galactic Emperor in June. Now, if you know the book, the Emperor is there. He's not a big role, but he's in it. Do you mean the Padishah Emperor Shaddam IV? Oh, That's Jesus the one Christ. I mean. Thank you, thank <laughs> you James. You're absolute <laughs> So, uh, Salvador Dali decided that he wanted to be the highest paid actor in Hollywood history for this role, <laughs> right? Because he's Salvador Dali, because of course he did. So he asked for $100,000 per hour, per hour to appear in the movie, which would indeed have made him even more highly paid on a normal sort of shooting schedule than um, even sort of Marlon Brando in Superman yeah. a few years later. That's more so, money than Cary Grant gets. I know. Cary Grant would be lucky most of his career to get 100000 a movie. Um, so Jodorowsky accepted this and then reduced the Emperor's scenes so he would need no more than an hour with Dali and decided that he was going to have the rest of his lines spoken by a robotic lookalike. Yes, the Marvel life model decoy was there really, really early in sci-fi his movie history. So yeah, so that's um, that's the story of Salvador Dali and, and June. He was all set to be in it. Sadly, um, Jodorowsky completely refused to compromise on the running time of the movie. They'd raised 10 million of uh, budget for, for this whole thing. They were somehow going to make this 12-hour movie on a $10 million budget. Um, they'd spent like almost three million by the time Frank Herbert arrived in France just to have a chat with Jodorowsky about making it. Um, and they never got the 15 million that they absolutely needed to start shooting. So it never happened. Mm. Uh, the story goes, however, that the film's notes and concept art and everything were circulated around all the big Hollywood studios because they were trying to get them all to sign on and take on some of the budget and mm -hmm. actually influenced all the sci-fi stuff that came later. Yeah. But um, but yeah, it's I just thought the Dali detail was fantastic. That's great. Is that in the documentary, Jodorowsky's June, which I've it never is, seen? I believe, yes, yeah. I've never seen that, but I really want to see that because apparently it's it's kind of mind-blowing. All right, okay. Now force me to decide a winner and give them a point. And uh, this is a tricky one. I feel like I'm being boxed into a corner here by Jimbo. I think he's playing a very clever game. A very, very clever game here, which is, you know, he points out he hasn't won for a week. Then he comes up with a pretty good fact that I didn't know, It's which is, which is important. Hmm... But now if I give it to Jimbo, it'll feel like I just kowtowed. Well, it's patronage, isn't it? Like yeah, I, just, I caved into peer pressure and I'm not that sort of guy. I'm my own man. I, I'm my own boss. I make my own decisions. This week's winner is Jimbo. <laughs> well, Thank you very much. I shall now well, go then. and post about my victory on Twitter where you can't see it. <laughs> make sure you tag at Chris Hewitt LFC, which is the only account I currently have access to. So do follow me there for... 
mainly football-related fun, but the odd film tweet just in case. Um, yeah, whilst I have my battle with the uh, the powers that be at Twitter. Uh, Kobe, your facts were good, they were solid, but I did know the main one. So yeah. that, and the that's, others were fictional. Yeah, and the others were <laughs> fictional, just fucking Absolutely. bullshit. <laughs> I don't know. I, they are true. They are true. They are not fake news. <laughs> you can't just will something into being by writing it down. I'll get someone to fact check this Predator Rocky Four thing and I'll tell you <laughs> I'll learn you yeah to be fair to be fair I do recall that the the screenwriters for that did talk about how the idea for it is you know what would happen if if Rocky 4 and Alien I do I don't believe it was it's not quite like it was never a sequel to Rocky 4 but I think one of the pithy lines they used to describe it was that was kind of the, the seed that, from which a lot of it grew right. that's enough okay, but, that's uh, enough yeah that's it's true that's so enough. it's it's your fact your fact quote unquote fact is truth adjacent if nothing else <laughs> I'll take that and Helen again a solid fact uh, expertly delivered but um, I I I, I yeah, I knew I, bits of it anyway. I didn't knew you? bits of it. Yeah, yeah, I knew bits of it. And also, it's about and, June, and you made and a fake thanks mistake. Thanks to me, you find that mind-numbingly <laughs> tedious. Yes, <laughs> so I immediately zoned out. So this James week's winner has poisoned the well. <laughs> I really Good have. The Bell and Jesuit has won, and uh, <laughs> a point to Jimbo. I think I'm just looking at the scoreboard here. Uh, that gives Jimbo one point for this week. That's two points then overall for Jimbo. <laughs> now I think you're on about six now. Someone actually did send in the scoreboard. They've been keeping track, but uh, Helen, I think, is still in front of the rotating fourth chair and james is bringing up the rear as things should be okay so that was the film fact section which i forgot to name this week i forgot that the name of this changes every week and uh, someone but i don't know who because my twitter account has been locked and i can't get in <laughs> to find their name someone sent in a suggestion that this week should be called captain america the fact avenger uh, and terrible. i'm That's all good. for that so yeah. this week's uh, fact section was called captain america the fact avenger and to whoever sent it in thank you uh, from the bottom of my heart uh, time now for the listener question and this one i wrote down before twitter locked my account and this one came from at Adam Wolfhorn and when I said earlier on we weren't going to be talking about Hamilton again in the rest of the podcast I lied because Mm. the question is if they made a Hamilton movie and you couldn't choose anyone who had been in a stage production of the show bloody hell that really does uh, rule out some people who would be some of your casting choices now obviously it feels at the moment like the ha- like Hamilton is the new MCU in that we are determined to talk about it in every single uh, podcast. But <laughs> it's it's Hamilton's own fault because it's freaking awesome. And so, ergo, we're going to talk about it. And, uh, and Kobe, you're a massive fan. Like Helen has seen it. Uh, she was on stage, I think, with Lima Miranda. That's <laughs> my understanding now in New York. Uh, she got the belt out of a few tunes. Uh, James is very, very late to the party, but uh, I've seen it a few times. Uh, you, I think you're you're the champ in this virtual room. You've seen it loads of times. Yeah, we've seen it. My wife and I have seen it four times only in, in London, though. Uh, and we yeah. were to see it for a fifth time up just when lockdown happened. So we were gazumped uh, by, by coronavirus to see it a fifth time. Which is a bit of shame. But I still feel that Helen wins there because she saw the original Broadway cast. And you've seen it, what, three times, Helen? Uh, live, yeah. 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 So I think. Well, no. No, she was she she was the lucky <laughs> recipient of some very fortuitous circumstance. That's all it was. She just. I just got. She just, happened to be in New York. She just happened to have thousands of dollars of disposable income. I did not have thousands of dollars. Let us, not, let us please not tell people that. I did, it did not cost me thousands. 10,000. It did not. All in advance. Just the 1,000 then. <laughs> <All in advance. laughs> no, look, it cost me a lot of money. I'm not going to say otherwise, but it was like 
under 400 it wasn't like thousands <laughs> dollars it. not pounds i love it you keep specifying this it was under 400 it was it was totally between reasonable. 360 and 400 dollars <laughs> But uh, Kobe, you have seen it four times now. Five, the fifth time was interrupted by COVID-19. COVID-19 yeah, so- won Kobe nil. Um, <laughs> but uh, in exchange, they gave you a baby. That's, that's my understanding. That's, that's, yeah, that's, that's right. Yeah, if you're, if you're <laughs> out to watch Hamilton for the fifth time and you can't, for whatever reason, a baby arrives. Um, that's how it happens, kids. That's, yes, that's the new stork. <laughs> One day, Kobe, I'm going to sit you down and tell you all about the birds and the bees. But uh, but now is not that time. But yes, as a, as a four-time viewer of Hamilton, sure. I'm going to let you go first. Do you have any uh, interesting casting choices for this? I have. Well, I, I guess we can, we can mull this around a bit. But Hamilton was probably the hardest one for me to cast. Um, mm-hmm. And I was torn between two people. Um, one being Oscar Isaacs. And then, and this is this is assuming that these guys can sing the songs and do all the rapping and do all the stuff. Uh, he can sing. He this, can sing. This is the thing. I, I think yeah. for the purposes of this, because uh, I, I did I did a little bit of research, and some of the people I'm going to mention can sing. That is absolutely on the record. But for yeah. the purposes of this, I'm going to say that if they can't sing, then Jim Cummings will come in and sing for them. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> <fun> casting. <laughs> that is great. So Oscar Isaac <laughs> seemed to fit for me, but also I was kind of toying with John Legend. Um, as, oh, as Hamilton, but also I kind of feel John Legend could go in a few different places in in this as well, he and could, not yeah. least, not least for just singing one last time at, instead of who else? <gasps> instead of the person I've got for um, George Washington, I think mm-hmm. his version of one oh, last time could be outstanding. That would be pretty sweet. See, okay, so this is really interesting. See, I specifically didn't go for like established names. Oh, okay. I, Oh. I went. I went that wasn't for. The question, I went though, for. Was it? I'm sure no, it wasn't. But I, this is the this is the criteria I imposed upon myself. Sure. I went for people who are kind of up and coming, who are on the cusp of stardom, uh, and also I was trying to keep it to a certain age range, mm-hmm. um, because you know, Linny Manny, what is he now? And he's in, he's in his forties, but he was probably mid thirties when he did Alexander Hamilton. When he did, oh, that's the name. That's not the name of the musical. Chris, you idiot! You've seen it a few times. You've listened to the soundtrack. You've got a T-shirt. It's not called Alexander Hamilton. You moron! No one. Twitter locked my account. Anyway, when it, he was in his mid-30s, but also you have to imagine that these people have to play a range of, of ages, right? You mm-hmm. know, I, I'm only 19, but my mind is older. So he starts at 19, then he goes through to his, what, mid-40s by the time he gets, by the time he carks it. Um, so, spoiler alert for Hamilton, by the way. And, um, and it's history. In it's, it's in the opening song. And history. You, know, <laughs> you, you, can, you can read it on the internet. Um, but, so I didn't want people who were like a little bit too old. And I wonder if Oscar Isaac is maybe a little too old. I'd the- make him Washington, not Hamilton. Oscar Isaac is uh, yeah. Washington. Okay. I, I should say also my choices. I've just assumed that Marvel's aging, de-aging technology is available here because <laughs> some of the ages are a bit wild here. But let's uh, let's get going. All right. Okay. Okay. No, good. Good, good, good. Wow. That's an interesting one. And uh, let's, let's talk about George Washington first before we get into some other some my other George, My other George Washington idea. Yeah, who's mm. your other George Washington? It was it's James Earl Jones. This is where the this is where the Marvel <laughs> aging goes. <laughs> one last time. Mufasa, the villain <laughs> yeah. in The Lion King. Good, oh good, choice. Ma- good choice. Mainly for the um, right-hand man entrance where he comes in big <laughs> and bombastic. I think he'd absolutely nail that section. Would he be in full Darth Vader mask? <laughs> yes, because obviously COVID. <laughs> so wise, yeah. We've got to keep James Earl Jones safe. Yeah, yeah. yeah. protect him at all costs. Yeah. Absolutely, keep that man behind a mask. Um, that's interesting. George Washington is the one I struggle with, right? A lot 
because uh, the way he was cast in the in the New York show and every every I think I've seen three different George Washingtons now, mm. and they're all of a certain physical type. You know, they're big, heavy set dudes, and um, one last time is a belter of a mm. song. You know, like you properly, properly, properly belted out. So I was looking for someone with a big, big voice, and I was thinking, like, you know. I don't know. John Legend's good, great, but that's really interesting. I, I don't see him as that sort of big, big, belty, belty, belty man. Um, <laughs> and I was really struggling. I was thinking maybe Jamie Foxx, but Denzel. I don't know. Denzel, Denzel. Denzel Washington, a hundred percent. Yeah, we're assuming he can sing. Of course, I'm I'm doing yeah. that with some of my casting choices. But he he's got the weight. He's got the presence. He's also tallish, and I feel like um, this is one of the things that the London production differs from, I think, much of the original cast. Like Hamilton has a small man energy about him, and Washington should have a tall man energy about him. I feel like so. Yeah. I feel like Denzel has that mm. right energy and presence mm. and charisma. Oh my god, he'd be awesome! <laughs> and everyone, everyone else on stage would be to some degree in awe of him, which is also correct. Absolutely true. Ooh. That's a fair point. Jim, Jimbo, did you get as far as a George Washington? I've cast the entire show. <laughs> who's Who plays Washington? the bullet? Who's, who's, your, who's your Hamilton? <laughs> oh, who's your Hamilton, Helen? Uh, I was thinking Donald Glover. Uh, okay, yes. See, I have Donald Glover down for Lafayette and Jefferson. I did go back and forth uh, between those two. Yeah, because he'd be an amazing, amazing Jefferson as well. I think it'd be amazing Lafayette, especially the Guns and Ships rap. I think it'd be great in that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right, Jimbo, who's yours? Now, you will, of course, disqualify this cast for one very clear reason but uh i'm thinking for hamilton bradley whitford oh my god for eliza <laughs> mary louise parker for burr i'm thinking josh molina with rob lowe as jefferson helen you're feeling this James obviously Sh- martin sheen as george washington but Schiff. the piece de resistance here is of course roger reese lord john marbury as king george oh who's richard schiff where's richard schiff in this yeah, Richard Schiff, get come it. on. <laughs> He's part of the chorus, unfortunately, <gasps> at this point. <laughs> Unbelievable. Much as I love Richard Schiff, much as I love Richard Schiff. At the very least, he'd be Hercules Mulligan. He's even <laughs> in the play, Guns and Schiff. Uh, but and so the balance, balance shifts. shifts. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Did you know that uh, Lynn does the little Toby heart tap thing? <laughs> uh, at one of the scenes in the play as well. What about Julia yeah, Hill? Actually, there's, a, there's a Toby <laughs> reference in... In Hamilton. I think uh, Julia Hill's a good shout. Yeah, in, Julia, in, I hadn't got that far down the costume. I think in James' yes, version, he'd have to play King George. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> no. Well, yeah, okay, I see what you're saying. There are, there, there are several problems with your list, Jimbo. Uh, one, you have... Um, how, how can I put this? You have... You have deprived Hamilton of its, its one of its most unique calling cards. Um, yes, I, I I do do see that in the yeah. colorblind casting. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, which, colorblind which, casting, Chris. It is as as Kirby says, colorblind no, casting. No, no, I, I, yeah, I, I I see that. Uh, that's certainly one one way of looking at it. Um, yeah. Uh, the other problem uh, is that Roger Reese is dead, and so. <laughs> This is fantasy casting. It's a fantasy cast. I don't know if he can sing when he was alive. Fantasy casting. Then Sidney Poitier is George Washington. (laughs) 
That's Why also not? a really good show, actually. Yeah. yeah. Fantasy casting. You can't do oh, Jesus. All right. Okay. Well, Jimbo's problematic casting aside. Um, <laughs> all right. Okay. Well, well thanks for that. Um, well, who did you guys have Jim- for Burr then? Let's go to Burr. Sidestepping Jim's. Uh- <laughs> Oh, shit. What the fuck just happened? Uh, all right, okay. I I couldn't I couldn't narrow uh, a burr down. I couldn't narrow a burr down. Um, uh, my Hamilton, by the way. Mm. Uh, mm. I went for Jacob Scipio or Scipio. I'm not sure how you pronounce his name, but he was uh, he's a British actor. He was really impressive in Bad Boys for Life, my film of the year so far. Oh, Hello, Christ. <laughs> <Shout> <laughs> It isn't, but I just like to annoy Jimbo with it. Um, but uh, he's really impressive. He plays. Oh, I can't. He's bad. He's the bad guy in Bad Boys for Life. Right. For, for Burr, I had written down Aldous Hodge. Mm, good call. Mahershala Ali. Mm-hmm. Or yes. uh, you could go. I wonder if you could go Boyega. John Boyega would work in that role. Or um, my new, my new up and coming. Uh, BFF to be Chopin Dirisu from Gangs of London, who deserves to be in all the things. That's very good. Yeah. <laughs> as this Papa who's also in uh, in Gangs oh, of London. He's so good, and he's, he's in so I May Destroy You as well, isn't yes. he? Yes, yes indeed. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he's he's one of the recent like drop everything and go see it. Hamlets at the RSC. He did an incredible, incredible Hamlet a few years ago. Um, he could basically play any of them up to and including Hamilton. Um, Burr, I was thinking Jamie Foxx for Burr, actually, when I put my list together, because he is very, very good at playing that kind of slightly edgy character. Um, he's very good at holding back until he really needs to kind of let it go. Uh, that's a different musical, but you know you know what I mean. Um, and I think, he'd, I think he'd do the Burr energy really, really well. I thought Michael Again. B. Jordan here as, uh, as Burr. Thinking on along the Killmonger kind of anti-hero mm-hmm. side mm-hmm. of things, um, he'd be pretty he, good. He steals the show. He steals. A, he, he is the show, even though it's not his name. But hit so much about. He has two of the biggest songs in there, and he absolutely nails it every single time. And um, you can't but like. Dis, it's hard to decide when you go into the show which which side you're on. Are you a dot ham or a dot bird? It's like it's difficult. Yeah. And I think that's what one thing Michael B. Jordan has is he's got that good kind of energy behind him um, to give you support the support the anti-hero. Interesting. Okay, so this is this is becoming much more all-star than I had uh, expected. <laughs> um, all right. Okay, let's 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 race through some more of these then. Sure. Uh, so uh, Angelica and Eliza, two of the Skyler sisters. I thought Rosario Dawson for um, Angelica or Zendaya. You need somebody mm. with that much charisma. Um, obviously, both can sing really, really well. Mm-hmm. Um, you could just cast them both as Angelica and Eliza, actually. I wouldn't mind. I put Alicia Keys for Eliza. Mm, good call. And I couldn't decide between uh, Janelle Monet or JLo for <gasps> Angelica. Wow. Oh, my God. <laughs> You've which, just blown my mind. Which one? I mean, either. Yeah. But like Angelica, uh, sorry, J-Lo bringing that hustler's energy to yeah, Angelica yeah, or Janelle Monet being Janelle Monet in any fashion on that stage or, you know, in this film. Oh, wow. Do not be fooled by the rocks that she's got. She's just Angelica from the block. Yeah, I could see oh, that. Oh, good lord. Nice. I had, I had Journey Smollett Bell written down uh, on my list as mm-hmm. well, because again, I was looking for a kind of up and comers and uh, I think she was terrific in uh, Birds of Prey. So yes, I thought I could go for her. Jimbo's obviously gone for Martin Sheen, but uh, <laughs> in all the roles, in absolutely. All the roles, Martin Sheen in a one-man Hamilton. Um, 
all right. So just a couple more and then we'll move on. Lawrence slash Philip. Who are you going for here? I put, I put Michael Pena in here. This is a this is a tough one. I thought he had, I think he had enough cheeky mm. kind of sass to him um, to fit there, but I wasn't really kind of taken. But I thought there's something about him that could work there. Yeah, you want somebody kind of sweet there, don't you? Mm. And I think I, would, I just rewatched Ant Man, and I really <laughs> like his character in there. So I think that was the, that was that was the thing that tipped tipped me over the edge with him. Jimbo, you were carrying carrying on your West Wing tradition to what Jimmy Smiths. John Spencer. <laughs> Again, we go back to he's dead, but why not? He lives on in spirit. He really does. Uh, okay, interesting, interesting. Uh, and now the uh, the last one. We should all have good answers for this one. King George. Played, of course, by Jonathan Groff on stage. Mm-hmm. Who have you got? I, I, was, I was stuck between three comedy legends. Um so Rick Moranis, Steve Martin, and Bill Murray were my, were my three that I chose. <laughs> you know, they could each do one song, couldn't they? Because he has three songs. They could do, exactly. Yeah. Hugh, Hugh Laurie would make a good King George. Mm. Yes. Well, he did kind of play him. Literally already. that, because of that. Black yeah. out of the third, yeah. Um, um, how about, um, well, I think he was the Prince Regent, so he was his son. Wasn't he in mm. that? I feel yes. like it should be somebody extremely English. I'm going to suggest Benedict Cumberbatch, just for that yeah. reason. <laughs> He'd be good. He'd be very, very good. Or Hiddles. Hiddles could do it. Hiddles would be fine. I, I think I'm going to blow you all out the water with my choice. Blow he's not English, but he's close. He's English adjacent. Michael Sheen. Yeah. Yeah. Not not the Sheen I would have chosen, but sure. <laughs> <laughs> Charlie Sheen, is that who he, is that who he chose? <laughs> He's not the Sheen he would have gone with. He shit the bed at the Battle of Monmouth. Uh, but anyway, so who have we got then? Uh, so let's tr- try to get very, very quick consensus. Hamilton, who have we gone for? John Legend then? John Legend? John, I'm not sure about this, but okay, fuck it. John Legend <laughs> is Alexander Hamilton. <laughs> yes, he, yeah, he'll be able to carry the, the, the singing, obviously, but I just, I don't know. I don't know about that. But okay, Aaron Burr. I, I, oh. I, I like Jamie Foxx for that. I do. But some of Kobe's suggestions were also good. Yeah, my other suggestion for that was Michael B. Jordan, but I think Jamie Foxx would be good there as well. Oh, I like Michael B. Jordan. I like Michael B. Jordan. And also you get the uh, the age thing, which is he's kind of similar in age <laughs> to John Legend. All right, Michael B. Jordan, produce, I like. right? There's less of that de-aging stuff going on with, you know, <laughs> Yes. production cycle will be a lot shorter. <laughs> I'm I'm going to throw a bit of a spanner into the works here, guys. I know we haven't oh, yeah. talked about them before, um, mm-hmm. but when I was thinking about Janelle, mm-hmm. Janelle Monáe, um I remember, you know, do you remember when we used to go to like concerts back in, you know, before before the now times? What are concerts? <laughs> what is Siri? What is like? I'm, I'm going to ask Siri. <laughs> hey Siri, what is a concert? I'm on it. Oh, she's on it. She even she doesn't know. Even Siri doesn't know. So it's just like even Siri has forgotten what a concert is. Oh no, uh, we're, we're doomed. We're doomed. But um, if I'm right in thinking, Kobe, so it was a thing where someone would strap a guitar to themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, in some cases, yeah, they would stand on a stage. Yeah, what's yeah? And then the audience would stage? turn their back on the person. What is audience? No. We, 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 <laughs> Sorry. Um, anyway, you were saying <laughs> one of my most recent uh, last favorite concerts I went to was Janelle Monae. And oh, I was she, at that. And she invited, and this is a, so you're at the Roundhouse at, uh, yeah. at, at in in Camden in London. There's a Roundhouse, and Janelle Monae came to London. Just around the corner from Empire offices. 
Yeah. Um, she invited people onto the stage and I was there the night, but Michaela Cole was in the audience and she invited Michaela Cole onto the stage and she's got some moves. So That's I'm thinking true. Michaela yes. Cole could be in there. And also thinking about British actresses as well. Um, Cynthia Revo was awesome in, in Widows. Oh my God. And maybe, I don't know, Cynthia and Michaela Cole could be interesting spanners in the works there. I'm sorry, guys. I'm sorry to do this to you. Damn it. No, that's a, that's an absolutely fair point. Cynthia was obviously on Broadway at the same time as Hamilton. She was starring in The Colour Purple. She actually yep. was the one non-Hamilton winner of a musical <laughs> performance yeah. at Tony that one. year, right? Yeah. For that. She's, if anything, overqualified. She That'd be, wow. <laughs> that'd be amazing. That's, you know what, guys? I think all our faffing around, I think we may have nailed it. Yeah, I say, I say Kobe. Kobe. I think Kobe has nailed it. And I say Kobe, I mean Cynthia Revo, because you know, because she's got she's got the pipes, as we all know. Mm-hmm. Mm. Ooh, Jennifer Hudson. Ooh, but she's got Aretha coming out soon. That's, that's yeah, fine. that's true. Yeah, yeah. but uh, Cynthia Revo, don't forget, you know, she's amazing in um, Bad Times at the El Royale, singing a cappella, and oh my word, so good, so good. So yes, all right, okay. Uh, I'm sorry, Rosario Dawson. I'm yeah, sorry, Cynthia. Sorry. But you've had your chips. Sorry, uh, sorry. It's, it's Cynthia Revo <laughs> and Michaela Cole would be amazing as well. I mean, can you just imagine her ripping through Satisfied? That'd oh. be that'd be great. Um, okay, so uh, Eliza and <laughs> <laughs> Peggy, Angelica. Oh, poor Peggy. Poor. No one's thinking about Peggy poor in this Peggy. scenario. Um, Alicia Keys was was Kobe's mm-hmm. suggestion yeah. for this. I like that. I do like that. I'm going to throw out an interesting one. I think she may be too young. I think she's 19, but her mind is older. Um, <laughs> uh, the girl who was Moana. Oli Caraglio. I think she'd be pretty damn good. She's mm. maybe a bit young, uh, so you'd have to cast age appropriate. Like, really, everyone ages up in this thing, but uh, I wonder if she is a little bit young for this. But, uh, but yeah. I think she's she's got mm. she's got the singing talent that's for sure. Uh, I also um, do you remember a few years ago when people were doing dub smash and whatnot, and mm-hmm. uh, Chloe Bennett from Agents of Shield did a dub smash with one of her co-stars from Agents of Shield, where they did Satisfied, and you know she was lip syncing perfectly, and she can sing. Like I've I've done some research to listen, she can sing. That's so true. I would suggest those two. Okay. Um, but, Is there something you know, to be said for Nicole Scherzinger? Hmm. Mm. I mean, I know we, we just, saw her just in throw Cats, more Chris. and more, more and more spanners in the works and stuff. I'm sorry. I mean, we, did you get to the, Did you get to that Nicole Scherzinger Cats? Is that where you went? I, so I it's did, at least yeah. some kind of yeah. frame of reference. Yeah, she she for, was good. Everything else up. was Cats. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, everything else belonged in the litter tray. But uh, no, she's great. She's absolutely phenomenal. Um, I, I I do wonder. I, but this is fantasy casting. You know, fantasy we, casting. we've got all sorts of people now. So um. Uh, dead, alive, <laughs> you know, ninety-five years old. It doesn't matter. You're in our Hamilton. Uh, so yeah, no, no, I'm not. I don't see it. I don't right. see it. I don't see it. But uh, Alicia Keys or Orly Cavallo for Eliza. Yeah. Just imagine her singing "Burn." It's going to oh. be the, the big torch song. It's going to be. It's going to be phenomenal. That's my oh, feeling. Absolutely, right. absolutely sold. All right, Lawrence slash Philip. We didn't really Did, have one. We didn't really have one. <laughs> I, I was going to say Jorge Lendeborg Jr., who is in the Spider-Man movies very, very briefly and is an up-and-coming youngster. And uh, I think you need some youth in that role particularly. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'll say him. Uh, I'm, I will brook no argument on Donald Glover for Lafayette slash Jefferson. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Um, George Washington is played by, as far as I can tell... Denzel. Denzel. <laughs> hard to argue. I mean, uh, Washington, it's right there. Hard yeah. to Yeah, this is true. This is true. But then you'd, be on, you'd stumble on stage, you know, <laughs> the man you've been waiting for, Denzel Washington. <laughs> Maybe we just come on and do monologues from his movies. Oh, my God. Have we just we made Hamilton guns, even better? But it doesn't matter because we can go to B&Q. <laughs> You know, it's brilliant. <laughs> All right. We haven't cast Hercules Mulligan slash Madison or Peggy Maria Reynolds, but that's fine. Um, and King George, uh, yeah, Cumberbatch is pretty good, actually. He is pretty good. Although there's something about the unctuousness of Michael Shane in that role. I think mm. he would be, he'd be really, really great. And uh, by the way, if you're the host of a cooking show and you just heard me use the word unctuous, uh, I used it there in the right context, not the incorrect <laughs> context, which you, as the host of a cooking show, has been doing for many, many years. That was a subtweet to Greg Wallace and John Tarot. Um, <laughs> unctuous, guys, is a bad thing. You do not want your dish to be unctuous because that would be bad. That would be slimy. Happening? I don't know. Anyway. Hang on, hang on. No, 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 no. Hang on, hang on, hang on. So, so, so unctuous in a, in a cooking sense is like greasy, isn't it? Like, yeah, a, it's like bad. a greasy it's bad. feel. Yeah, it you should be, you yeah, should be praising be something going, that was a lovely, lovely, unctuous dish. You could really taste it. No, no, this maybe, maybe he means the dish kind of turned and was excessively flattering. No, towards they're, being, him and- they're trying to praise it. They're idiots. Stop changing things. Oh, God. <laughs> if you want to have your question read out in the Apple <laughs> podcast and treat it with the respect it deserves well I was going to say you could just tweet me or slide into my DMs but that option is not open to you at the moment as things stand and is in the hands of Twitter support uh, so I guess we're back to email podcast at empireonline.com there you go have at it or just keep Keep an eye on me on Twitter. Um, you'll know when the jokes start getting bad that I am back on It'd be Twitter. like millions of oysters cried out in terror <laughs> and were suddenly silenced. Millions of oysters cried out and were placed into an unctuous dish. Okay, so that was the listener question segment section fact thingy. I don't know, know what the hell it's called. Uh, anyway, that's it, done. And uh, I think we just proved that casting directors really, really do earn their money. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's really tough. It's really tough to do. My God. But anyway. But, you know, if they come up with that film and the cast is as we prescribed it, then we can expect to see a credit um, as yeah. casting by episode four, six. What is this of uh, of, of this Empire? This is 423, Kobe. Can you four, imagine? 423, yeah. What do you want on Flixwatcher? What's, what, what episode are you up to? 164? Yeah. Yeah, long way to go. Yeah. We're, we're coming up on the 100th pilot TV podcast, did you Good know? Good Lord. Yeah. That's a great way to yeah. bow out, isn't it? I think with episode 100, <laughs> just really stick a pin in the whole thing and go, and that's it. We can't top it anymore. We can't We can't possibly get any better than, than that. Um, wow. You're going to do, I was going to say you're going to do a live show. Oh, but yeah, I guess we'll do a live one. It'll be me, Terry and Boyd in a room with masks Coughing on. at each other. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know quite how we're going to celebrate the uh, the hundredth podcast. I there, there's a yeah, I don't know. It really we'll sucks. We're around it, some ideas. You know, yeah, it's like we're, we're coming at the point where we're now about to head into August. We'd have probably announced our live show at the London yeah. Podcast Festival by now. Yeah, you know, which, we did you know, a tour last year. <laughs> we were going to do another tour this year. We oh. had we had some venues earmarked and stuff. We were going to be, I think we we're going to maybe doing ten dates this year. But oh god, it's off. Oh, anyway, there are more important things and more important things have happened to people people but uh as a result of covid but yeah it still sucks i would i, I feel like 
Sam Neill in Hunt for Red October, I would like to have seen Montana. (laughs) I would like to have seen Birmingham. (laughs) I would like to have seen Newcastle. (laughs) I would like to have gone to these places. Anyway, next year, next year, if if this hellscape uh, recedes, even even a little bit, we'll be on the road, hopefully. But anyway, shall we talk about some movie news? What has been happening in the world of movie news? I, I'm gonna I'm gonna immediately jump in as is my want with some pilot TV esque TV news for you. Oh, so Disney have announced that the Bad Batch will be going ahead on Disney Plus next year. For anyone who watches the Clone Wars, they should be familiar with the Bad Batch, who turned up in the Clone Wars series, uh, a group of experimental clones. Um, but yeah, they're getting their own show, and Dave Filoni's overseeing that, and that's going to come to Disney Plus next year. So for for people who were big fans of those animated shows, this is this got to be quite welcome news. Do any any of you Clone Wars fans? Uh, I've been meaning to get into it, but I haven't yet, honestly. No. As okay. you can tell from the interview mm. I did with Dave Filoni on this very, very podcast a few weeks ago, my knowledge of the Clone Wars is extensive and borrowed. <laughs> Live from the cloning vats on Camino, Chris Hewitt and Dave Filoni. <laughs> yes, winging it with Chris Hewitt. <laughs> so in the Clone Wars, and then you can hear typing in the background, I can see <laughs> oh, Darth Maul is in this one. <laughs> <laughs> you are the worst. <laughs> little insight into my interview technique. Uh, anyway, yeah. so yes, anyway. why is this good, James? Uh, this is good because the Bad Batch are kind of a, a, a found favorite character. So I think people really, really enjoy those. So I think if if anyone was going to spin out of the Clone Wars, I think this is this is something that fans have been asking for. But it's nice to see them going ahead with this kind of thing. You know, like they're they're pressing on with this. The Clone Wars were kind of ignominiously cancelled when uh, when Disney took over Lucasfilm and obviously they have been resurrected they did get a final season um, but it's nice to see that they've now fully embraced this uh, and we're getting spin-offs as well so that kind of that brief period where Disney tried to retcon the prequels out of people's brains seems to have passed <laughs> I can't imagine why <laughs> <laughs> I have some uh, some some game related news as well. I'm so Tom yet. Holland, mm-hmm. uh, you were going to say this one. Yeah, Tom Holland has been on Twitter and mentioned that the Uncharted movie, a movie that seems to have been in production since about three hundred BC, is actually shooting. It is a thing. He showed us his little chair with Nate on the back of it. Um, so yeah. this is actually going ahead. And yeah. I, honestly, I never thought this day would come. I know. <laughs> People have been sending it to me all day on Twitter, going, "Look, it's real," and I'm like, "I'll believe it when I see it." Exactly. Exactly director that. number seven that's attached to, to Ruben this. Fleischer is yeah. uh, is in the director chair at the Ruben moment. Fleischer's directing this. Yeah, that's right. That is right. Well, Nothing is definite guy. about Uncharted, Kobe. Nothing. No, that's very true. Uh, Mark Wahlberg's obviously playing Sully in this one. It's kind of it's it's young young Nathan Drake. Um, I, I I'm I'm cautiously optimistic. I I've got a lot of time for Tom Holland. Um, the Uncharted games. Nick to is a huge fan of. I'm more of a Last of Us man myself. But uh, but really? he's a good You've character. He's a lot of fun. No, it's funny enough. We actually have a Last of Us Part Two Empire spoiler special that went live this week and is very very exciting. <laughs> I highly recommend you listen to that. That is me and uh, and Nicholas and Amon uh, talking to Neil Druckmann, uh, the director of the game, and, and getting this. That's the first and let's be honest, probably the last spoiler special podcast we've done and it's in the in the regular empire podcast feeds so you don't even have to go behind the paywall to yes. listen to it why is that jimbo why have we put this spoiler special behind not behind the spoiler special paywall in case well, people think, are wondering i think it's partly in the regular feed because it is a video game i think it's slightly experimental for us it's not something we would normally do uh and i think we didn't 
we kind of wanted to push it out there and, and and i think a lot of people who maybe would listen to it as gaming fans won't necessarily already be subscribers to the podcast so uh yeah i thought i thought it'd be a nice little treat for them also the game is amazing and everyone should play it and everyone should <laughs> listen to it okay um but yeah it's it was a lot of fun it's a lot of fun so in much more important about? news what were we talking about? Yeah. We were talking about Uncharted, Chris. Oh, yes. So I, I can't believe this is actually filming. This has got to be the first major production to actually go behind the cameras again, or in front of the cameras, or around the cameras, or just uh, do some sort of camera-related activity, is basically what I'm saying. I mean, you know, because they keep saying Mission 7 will start filming again in September. Mm. That, you know, everyone's been saying that. Peg said that in the podcast a couple of weeks ago. So What about Jurassic whatever? Isn't that that, ha- that that has started, hasn't it? That yeah. has started. You're absolutely right. Yeah. The procedures they've got in place, they've been. I think they're testing people like every couple of days or something. They're giving giving them COVID tests. Uh, they are taking sort of social distancing precautions. Certainly among the crew. As an on camera, I'm not quite sure how that works. Like I imagine it's quite hard to choreograph a decent fight if you're socially distancing from the henchmen. But uh, <laughs> you know, who knows. Who but knows? Only movies of this size can do that, right? Mm. Because only movies of this size will be able to lock people down uh, and basically, you know, create, I don't know, mini villages or mini towns or move into hotels and take over an entire hotels for people uh, and make sure that people can socially distance beforehand. Mm. It's it's yeah. going to be fascinating to see what happens. They're filming in Berlin, I think. So, yeah, I don't know how they're... Well, it's, well, it's a lot safer thinking, there. I was yeah. actually thinking the opposite of films, like uh, with Ex Machina, you could essentially just hold it in like a you know three hander, four hander in like a small in a small space. I thought those are the kind of films that might be coming out as a result of COVID, where you can literally control people mm. within that kind of small space. Um, but yeah, if they have the money and all the budget to do so, then that's another <laughs> means to doing it, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. It is. I mean, uh, I don't know if you guys saw this, but uh, you were talking about Sendaya earlier on, and uh, a different Washington, John David Washington, and they've made a movie in lockdown um i think it's called malcolm and marie and it filmed in california in a a, in a single house uh for about two weeks and they were locked down beforehand they were locked down afterwards because they're 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 filming quite intimate scenes the first still from the movie is of them you know canoodling and uh, so that was written by sam levinson written and directed by sam levinson uh, who is the creator of Euphoria, I believe, which is yeah. Sendea's show. And uh, so that whole thing was conceived, written, shot, and now presumably very, very close to being edited uh, mm-hmm. in lockdown. And, um, you know, listen, I, I know I said in the podcast, uh, right back at the beginning of the lockdown, I do not want to see many movies about the pandemic. But I guess there's going to be a lot of movies made during the pandemic and you know during mm-hmm. lockdown, and they'll be informed by the experience to some extent. There'll be about themes of isolation and whatnot. But you know, if some really really great art results from it, then then yeah, I'm all for that. I just don't want necessarily to see loads of pandemic movies because we're living yeah. we're living it already. Yeah, that's no fun. Um, so yeah, fingers crossed. I mean, the the first shot of that that movie looks stunning. It probably helps to have like incredibly stunning people in it but um <laughs> it should be uh, should be good can we talk about the massive news the mm-hmm. massive enormous news mm-hmm. that jennifer gray is attached to a star in a musical <laughs> movie which is rumored to be hamilton mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, yes. I, mean, I would watch that i would absolutely watch that but it's rumored to be a sequel to dirty actual dancing um and this is important because let's be honest the sequels there were more than one. Two Dirty Dancing were dreadful. Um, was there? Was it more than Havana one? Havana Nights for the win. A, I think there was a, a directed DVD one after Havana Nights, wasn't there? Was I there? don't know. 
I may be wrong. <laughs> I must anyway. admit, my, my knowledge of the DDCU is actually quite lacking. So Yes, well, you know, it could be about to get bigger because apparently she's set to produce and star in a, a new, all they've said is a new dancing film set in the 90s. Um, so no one has confirmed that this is a continuation of Baby's story, but it kind of seems like it possibly might be um, because Lionsgate, who own the Dirty Dancing movies, is behind it. So... That's exciting. Yeah. So perhaps, you know, what would have happened to her since Dirty Dancing and, you know, since, you know, Johnny and she split up and obviously then Baby took it hard and fell into drugs and fell into drug dealing and moved to Baltimore um, and uh, ended up dealing drugs for, for Avon Barksdale um, mm-hmm. uh, and then got away from that because, as you know, nobody puts Baby on the corner. <laughs> Wow, that was so That was like <laughs> one of those things where you're in a car, you're at high speed, you put Listen, the foot on, the brakes no. have failed, yeah. you're heading towards the intersection, there's nothing you can do to stop it. It's and, not yeah. on Twitter anymore. I need, you are my outlet. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been a tweet by now. I mean, I would of course point out that Avon Barksdale is in the wire and not the corner, but sure, sure, whatever. No, but I didn't, no, no it's a different yeah, thing. I know, the on the yeah, corner, in, in the, the wire, wire, as opposed to in the corner. Yes, I know, I know. So, that is pretty much huge news. Helen, uh, I also have huge news uh, oh, really? involving something being revived from the 1980s, and that is the long, long-promised third Fletch film, or I mm. guess in this case, a reboot of Fletch. Um, and this time, it looks like John Hamm will be the one to mm. star as Fletch. I mean, that seems okay, doesn't it, casting-wise? Yeah, I'm very happy with that. I'm very, very happy with that indeed. Um, and this is going to be directed by Greg Matola, who directed Superbad and Paul, and he has worked with uh, John Hamm on a couple of movies in the past. Um, and uh, this one seems to be based on the second book in the series. So Gregory MacDonald wrote a whole series of books about Fletch, uh, and this one is going to be called uh, Fletch Confess. So... Um, and it's going to involve Fletch, who is a newspaper reporter who gets caught up. He's kind of a newspaper reporter who has an investigative nose, and he gets caught up in all sorts of shenanigans. And obviously, people will know the 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 two movies from the 1980s starring Chevy Chase as Fletch, Fletch and Fletch Lives. Um, Fletch, uh, in particular, I, re- I revisited recently. Uh, for me, uh, you know, there's still there's some issues, uh, but for the most part, Just it holds up. Uh, but yeah, it's uh, it's still pretty pretty solid, and uh, so I'm excited to see. This, if indeed it happens, because we've been here before a number of times over the mm. years with different people uh, tagged to play Fletch. So we shall see. What do you think about this, guys? I've never had any emotional connection to the Fletch movies at all. I've seen uh, certainly one of them, if not both. Yeah. And so it was, they're just there. They're fine. They're fine. fine, they're fine. I guess. fine. I mean, I'm problematic in the way that many of their time are, but, you know. Mm. Okay. Uh, all right. Well, I'm excited about that. Uh, screw you guys. Uh, Kobe, do you have anything, any any news stories you wanted to talk about? Uh, just a little thing I came across last few, um, last day was that I saw that Denis Villeneuve happily watches uh, Terrence Malick films on his, on his iPhone um, and says to everyone, you know, don't worry about watching films on, on any size screen. Just use whatever size screen you want to watch the film. And I thought that was... That was interesting because he's essentially the guy that got um, Mr. Old Deco his his Oscar finally for, for Blade <laughs> Runner. And I'm sure Deacons wouldn't be so happy about watching Blade Runner on an iPhone. I think there's some things that no. just need to be a bit sacrilegious with what you watch on an iPhone. And I think yeah. there's, there's that kind of discussion of what what's allowable on that size screen and what's what you want to watch in the cinema and what you want to watch at home. Mm. Um 
all his films look outstanding, um, Villeneuve's just, films. So I think, I just, I don't, I'm not sure exactly where he's going to come from. The thought of watching a Denny Villeneuve phone on an iPhone, a film on an iPhone makes me feel physically sick. Like, why mm. Why would, I just, no. Just that's Potentially a whole prisoners. world like of Like prisoners, no. maybe, yeah. Like, can you imagine <laughs> watching, like, Blade Runner or watching Arrival mm. or that sequence in Sicario with the, the oh, just this... It just so much of it would be lost. There's so much texture and so much detail to it. It's like why well, I don't understand Queeby, you know, the that, the streaming mm. service which is designed for your phone. Like it, it may be that I'm just old and out of touch with the youths, but it just seems such a shame to watch stuff in that format. It's just wrong. Well, at least Queeby was designed to be watched in that format. It's something like yeah. you know, Villeneuve stuff is is really not. Um, but I guess look, you you watch where you can, you watch how you can, you know. If if the only free time in your day is mm. commuting or something, and an iPhone or an iPad is all you have, you know, whatever you've got to catch as catch can, I suppose. But um, but yeah, obviously the big screen is best, and we just hope we get back there soon. Yes, and speaking of the big screen, it looks like Matt Reeves is going to make a spin-off of the Batman, which will be on the small screen. <sighs> and this is going to be uh, a Gotham City Police Department or a Gotham City Police, uh, and it's going to be with Terence Winter, who was the showrunner and creator of Boardwalk Empire, mm. and it's going to be set in the same world as Reeves the Batman, uh, and that's it's like Law and Order Gotham. I mean, pretty much, yeah. Isn't this what Gotham was meant to be? That's what, yes. yeah, that's what I thought, yeah. But wasn't Gotham rubbish? I mean, it has its defenders. No, the Defenders had us Defenders. <laughs> different show, Helen. Completely different universe. It's, I mean, it's fine. Uh, it had some good moments, it had some good characters, it had some very good casting now and again. Um, but I just, I mean, I just have Gotham fatigue, you know. Now, now I speak not about the show, I speak of the general city itself, I suppose. Um, I guess, look, I'm, I'm excited about the Pattinson Batman I think that'll be really cool. So maybe once I see that, I will get really, really hyped for this show. Um, on the face of it, though, I don't care. A little bit. <laughs> <laughs> well, it depends what it is. I'm, I'm absolutely here for Law & Order Gotham. I think that's what Daredevil should have been, the Netflix show. It should have been basically a procedural that just happened absolutely to have not. every every episode, you know, him fighting heroes and stuff. But, you know. You ding, wanted ding. more legal cases, basically. More legal cases. More I Matt Murdock in the courtroom drama. deciding that mm. people are lying based on their heartbeat. You know, that's what I wanted to see. <laughs> No, but um, you know this this could this could be fun, especially if they keep it because you know I, I don't know if anyone here watched Gotham. Kobe, did you watch Gotham? Not at all. Um, I just wasn't interested, and the report not the the reports weren't encouraging. So I just kind of could, yeah. it, you know in the opposite way to like Daredevil, where I wasn't that interested, and lots of people said it was amazing, and I really did enjoy you know a lot of the, at least the first season. Um, mm. If people had said Gotham was amazing, I would have watched it, but I'm yeah. not excited by this. Yeah. Someone I know in trust said that Pennyworth is really good as well. And I, I refuse to believe that. <laughs> I've heard that also, yeah. Um, in fairness, my, my sister watched Gotham. I, I watched a bit of season one and gave up, but she stuck with it. She said there was a major step up after season one. So it was one of those shows, I think. Yeah. That's what I had heard as well. But it's one of those, like, do I have the time to invest in, mm -hmm. in a show? Then, you know, do you just skip season one? Then you've missed some major relationships and whatnot. But anyway, Matt Reeves is good. We like Matt Reeves. We like Terence Winter. This could be good, I think, basically is what I'm saying. Sure. And, uh, okay, Helen is fully on board. 
<laughs> fully on board whatever the show's going to be called. Um, and there's, just, uh, there's one last thing about Gina Prince uh, Bythewood, who's uh, the old guard Jim, Jimbo Fiegel reversed into a three star review uh, after last week's podcast. So if people were. I was on following, Twitter, wasn't it, Chris? How do you know about it, that? <laughs> back in the day. Um, I, I have my glass up against a wall, Kobe. I've, I've heard I've heard tell that Jimbo changed it. Uh, so last week's episode, if you, if you recall, we reviewed The Old Guard and Jimbo. Uh, who had seen it a few weeks ago and he gave, he was writing the official Empire Review. Quite a few weeks ago when I first saw it. Quite a few weeks ago. It had been a while because I got it quite early. You gave it two stars and you talked about it in the podcast, two stars. That was the official rating last week. Uh, Except I changed it on the podcast. Did you change it in the podcast? You did. You did. I I specifically rolled it out because I'd seen it and I kind of felt I'd been too harsh on it. I then watched it again and I cemented the fact that I had been less but bright than I have been on other occasions. Did you watch uh, it again after the podcast? I did. Isn't that the yes. timeline? So the timeline is that you yeah. were basically, you were, you were on the podcast, you were last week, you were going, listen, I think I may have been too harsh, so give it a yeah. third star if you if you want. Yeah. And then after, because Helen and Ben really liked it and they were like, you, you should, you should, go back and revisit it and then maybe mm. you should change, you know, maybe that would change your mind. And you did, in fairness to you, you went back and you rewatched it for a second time and you did change your mind. And then you did something yeah. which is fairly unusual <laughs> in that you went in and you basically changed it officially. Yes. Uh, on I the retconned the official Empire Star rating and rewrote the review because I thought oh, I can, had been Can you harsh. do that? Because a few times yes. in yes. Star Wars universe that might be working. <laughs> <laughs> they, been- uh, they actually have been right um, uh, It's, yeah, it's, time, to give, it's time to bring Attack the Clones back to five-star glory, that's what I say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I did go in and change it. But it's one of these things, isn't it? Like, it's, it is difficult. Like, I think with all... Fi- like, I think some of the, the reviews of this, like, the, this, this film has since had some very positive reviews, which I do not agree with. Uh, and I got a lot of shit for changing it. Oh, you're just changing it because people liked it and you felt the, and I was like, no, it has nothing to do with that. And anyone who listens to this podcast should be under no illusions that I have no problem defending indefensible positions. That's yes. pretty much my thing. So I really have no problem with that at all. But in this case, I just, I do think I was wrong. Like I was unduly harsh. It's a good film and and it's not a great film, but it's a lot of fun. Uh, and I do think I stand by all the same criticism. I think it's a missed opportunity and I think it's a terrible villain. But it, but Charlie Theron's really good in it. Kiki Lane's really good in it, and it is an enjoyable film. And weirdly, I do very much hope that it gets a sequel because I think the story that it's setting itself up to tell in the sequel will be superior. I think it will be a better film, and I think I'll, I'll like that even more. But you know, it's it's one of these things that you know, as critics, sometimes you feel the need once you have t- adopted a position on something to defend that until death. And I think sometimes it's not a, the worst thing in the world to be like, you know what? I fucked that up. It's fair enough. Hands hand mm. to God, I fucked it up. Let's just roll that back. I'm the first to admit I got it wrong. Yeah. Um, you know, I think that should be perhaps m- more of a positive thing than a negative thing. I agree. Yeah, absolutely. Because this is kind of tricky because most of the time, most times when you're re- reviewing a film, you only get to see it once. The second time you see a film will either cement your opinion or actually change it quite yeah. quite significantly. Yeah. Um I guess I think it's I think it's very important to to see a film twice if you can. It's not always possible. In fact, but, sometimes most nine times out of ten, it's not even remotely possible. But what's I think it's funny about this is that I saw it a second time after we'd gone to press. Otherwise, if I'd seen it before we'd gone to press, I would have changed it. It would have been different in print, and no one would ever have known that I changed the rating. <laughs> it would have just been a three star film. But unfortunately, because 
I reviewed it and then we went to press and then I saw it again afterwards. There was that dis- mm. discrepancy between what's in print and then what I was, you know, able to to do on the web. So but it's that it's that weird hey, thing where your 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 opinions are almost frozen in time mm. and your opinions can change. Mm. I remember someone on Twitter was saying to you, Oh, basically, you know, shame on you, you should have stuck to your guns. Well, those aren't my guns anymore. Yeah, those were my guns. I have <laughs> yes. new guns now. Look yes. at these brand new guns. Yes. My guns have changed. They're they're shinier and more positive and more optimistic. Yeah. There are loads of reviews that I, you know, films that I've revisited since reviewing them that I could go back. I wish I could go back officially and change. And now Same. apparently I can. You know, my name is still now. Yeah, well, fuck it. My name still stands by three star reviews of Dread and Step Brothers, yeah. for example. Did you both give of which Dread three stars. I get Dread three stars. You fucking bellend but um yeah but i think it's a fantastic film uh, i've seen it many many times since and uh, i'm deeply deeply wrong on dread and i was deeply deeply wrong on Step Brothers as well because i gave that a kind of mithering miserable three-star review as well it's not as good as anchorman well it's a different film and it's, it's deeply deeply funny i know you don't think so james but anyway let's move on <laughs> Maybe we should all benefit from doing a Jimbo and going back in and revisiting stuff. So anyway, Gina Prince Bythewood. <laughs> yes. Who said, incidentally, who noticed my rollback retcon of the review and mentioned that on Twitter, which was super awkward. Yes. Um, but yeah, sorry, Garrett. Helen, go on. Yeah, she's doing a film with Violet Davis. So the gone. news. Well, yeah, you've spoiled it now, James. Thank you for stealing the, the logline. Based on the extra star, she was offered a film with Violet Davis. So I take full credit for that. Absolutely not. You are not doing that. No, no one is giving you any credit for that. No, give me no um, credit. But she's, yeah, she's directing Viola Davis in a film called The Woman King. Um, it's apparently set in the Kingdom of Dahomey, one of the most powerful states in Africa in the 18th and 19th centuries, and follows Naniska, who would be Davis's character, general of an all-female military unit, and her daughter Nawi, who certainly at one point Lupita Nyong'o was attached to play the younger role. So fingers crossed that's still the same. She's not mentioned uh, in the most recent story about it. Um but yeah, they basically uh, fought the French, they fought neighbouring tribes who who threatened them or violated their honour and enslaved their people, and, um, and basically tried to protect their kingdom from all comers. So uh, so yeah, sounds amazing. Uh, Davis is also producing the film via her company, and it certainly sounds like an sort of under-told uh, area of history um, that should make for incredible cinema. Sounds cool. Yeah. Sounds exciting. Um, good combination. And Very um, she may well still do the old guard too, because I'm pretty sure that's going to happen uh, yeah, I feel as so. well. So, and James has already written his three star review of that. Oh, wait, no, <laughs> now it's four. <laughs> now it's five. Now it's six, and so on and so forth. Um, We do have some very sad news to finish off the news section, and that is the sad death at the age of just 57 of Kelly Preston. Yeah, I mean, she was, she's probably best remembered for her work, I guess, in. in Jerry Maguire. Um, I remember her weirdly from Twins. She mm. was the love interest mm. in Twins and was adorable in that. Um, so she was a really kind of fine comedic actress. Um, she could turn on the drama as well. Um, but she basically stepped back for a long time because she she was married to John Travolta. They had children together. And I think she wanted to be, you know, a, a mostly stay at home mum. So we kind of missed out on years of her career that she might otherwise have, have been making films. But of course, that's a, a totally fine choice. But um, but yeah, it, d- it does mean that, you know, her roles were kind of uh, thinner than 
her talent I think warranted like she's if you see her in stuff like mm. Sky High if you if you guys saw that that was a really charming oh, comedy Sky High. Love she's Sky High. so cool in that with Kurt Russell mm -hmm. they have such a nice kind of easygoing chemistry you absolutely buy that they both have secret superhero identities it just seems it just seems likely um and you know she was also in films like For the Love of the Game. She was in Space Camp back in the day. One of my oh, absolute film. formative films as a kid. Oh <laughs> my god! Um, Leaf. It was Leaf Phoenix then, wasn't it? It wasn't. Uh, it wasn't Joaquin. That's yeah, right. it was still Leaf at that point. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, but yeah, so so yeah, just an incredibly sad early death. I mean, fifty-seven these days is no age at all. And um, mm. and she uh, was carried off by breast cancer. So uh, yeah, thoughts out to Travolta and to their two children, Ella and Benjamin. Not much to add to that, of course. I mean, they, they went through great tragedy themselves, didn't they? Um, when they lost uh, their son, Jet. I think he was just yeah. 16 when he passed away a few years ago, uh, which obviously no parent should ever have to go through. Uh, Kelly Preston, who passed away this week, aged just 57. Time now for this week's guest. Uh, we had Rosamund Pike, who is the star of Radioactive, the drama about Marie Curie, on the podcast a couple of weeks ago. That was uh, to tie in with the film's release on Premiere Video On Demand, PVOD, but it's going to be hitting DVD and Blu-ray in a couple of weeks' time on July 31st. And so now it is time to talk to its other star, Sam Riley, who of course plays Marie Curie's husband, Pierre Curie, in the film. Uh, now, I said on the podcast a few weeks ago that my interview with Jesse Eisenberg was the last time I interviewed someone in the flesh before lockdown happened. Uh, not true. It was, in fact, Sam Riley. Uh, I went to a hotel just a couple of days before lockdown happened and we had a big old time deciding whether we should shake hands and whether this COVID thing was, in fact, uh, you know, something to take seriously. Spoiler alert. It was. Uh, spoiler, spoiler alert, we did shake hands. Um, but yeah, Sam Riley is a lot of fun. Uh, you know, he's been brilliant in the likes of Control and Free Fire and Radioactive. And uh, I had an absolute blast talking to him. Enjoy. And then I'll give you a big introduction. <laughs> well, basically, I've real basically. One, actually, the, <laughs> you can do. His name is spoken of in hushed tones around the country. Uh, sadly, it's not that big an introduction. I basically just say your name. Welcome to the podcast. It's basically this. Delighted to be joined on the Emperor Podcast by the star radioactive Sam Riley. How are you? I'm very well. Good to see you again. It wasn't that big an introduction, really. That's shite. Yeah. Oh well, we move on. We move on, you know. <laughs> Maybe I don't deserve one yet. You absolutely do deserve one. That's that's the thing. But if I took five minutes of a fifty-minute interview to just you know aggrandize, did you say you, fifty or fifteen? Fifteen. Okay, all 15. right. What are you thinking? Breathe, breathe fifth, sigh of fifty minutes. <laughs> well, that's the thing. Is fifty minutes we could get into everything. Oh yeah. But fifteen minutes, short and sweet. Absolutely. So, uh, uh, this is a really interesting film. How did you know? I mean, I went to school. You might be surprised to you know, did? but I did. I went to school. It was fun. And uh, that I knew then that Marie Curie basically discovered radium. You knew that much? I knew that much. Right. I, I, I didn't know that much. Really? No. Okay. But that's it. That's the extent of my knowledge about, my, about the saw, Curies. You know, there was, in, in, in my day, or our day probably, there was sort of Marie Curie, um, Florence Nightingale. Yep. And these were the, the women who'd done stuff in history. <laughs> and... Um, and I knew very little about that. I think I knew that Pierre Curie, they were a partnership or whatever, but it was okay. reading the the scripts that I realized the extraordinary achievements that, that, that they'd had. Not only the, yeah. the two 
two Nobel Prizes. She's still the only one who's done that. One for physics, one for chemistry. She's mm-hmm. the only one who's done that. That, yep. daughter, that their daughter won a Nobel Prize. Which she is invented mad. these, I keep saying curry wagons, but curry wagon, <laughs> the, the, these ambulances. That curry wagons are a very different thing. Curry wagons are different. They're sort of post-pub thing. Um, <laughs> they... Uh, that had sort of done localized x-rays on the front in the First World War that mm. saved many a limb. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, so once you read the script, were you thinking, okay, I'm in, or do I, need, do I need to do more reading about Pierre in particular? Because clearly you're playing Pierre when they send you the script. You're not, you know, Marie Curie, that, that role's taken. Yes, that's, uh, <laughs> well... Um, or maybe not. <laughs> I asked him to rewrite it uh, <laughs> to big up his achievement. Um, yes, I mean, it was... You know, I'd, I'd met Marjan Satrapi, uh, mm. the, the director, before. She'd been on the jury in Cannes with my wife. So I, and oh, okay. she's hilarious. You know, she's not only hilarious, but brilliant. And yeah. so I really wanted to work with her. And I, I'm a fan of Rosamond, of course. Um, but I was told that we had to do a chemistry test together. Oh, shit. Which I thought was incredibly thorough of them. You know, I, I was like... <laughs> <laughs> I get the old Bunsen burner yeah, out. Yeah, <laughs> I was like, okay. I mean, I, I was terrible at science at school. But they actually meant to see whether we looked like we could get along with one another okay. uh, on, on, on screen. Unfortunately, Rosamond is such a good actress <laughs> that she could <laughs> pretend to be interested in me. And... Um, no, it's a fast. It's a it's a great it's it's a great part, you know, and a, mm. and an in- interesting one. A bit different from maybe some of the things I've I've done before. Um, my only regret is that I wish I could grow a beard. Oh, that's not. That's that, not- no, that was glued individual yak hairs glued on for three hours every day. I mean, no one wants to hear an actor complaining <laughs> about, about his work, obviously. But the silliest thing was is that. Someone once told me, if you have to wear a fake beard, grow your own moustache. And I can do that because okay. you can't eat. You know, and me and, uh, and Iron Barnard, who plays my colleague in the movie, yeah. if we were laughing with each other, we had to hold on to our moustaches. Because <laughs> if you really <laughs> laughed, they just sort of, ding, they spring <laughs> off in the, in, the, in the corners. That's amazing. So you really struggle with beards? I mean, look at me, I struggle with beards. You, so, yeah, well, you've got yeah. a good beard there. Uh, I this, can do tash, is... but that's it. Okay, okay. But yeah, otherwise, it's a bit patchy. Very. Uh, that's, a, that's a shame. That is a shame. Uh, but there's, uh, the, the film is centred, I mean, you know, well, if people want to find out about the, the Curies and what, what happened to Pierre, but the film is, they, they can go online, but the film is centered for the most part around that relationship between Marie and, and Pierre. Yes. Uh, and the discovery that they made. And there's a really interesting thread that runs through the film about the strife and the anguish. They're, you know, they've made this incredible discovery that has so many great uses uh, and can cure cancer, but at the same time, leads to the uh, the atomic bomb and yeah. there's that there's that philosophical debate between yes. them and the, and the, even the movie well he said in his when he won when he accepted the nobel prize yeah. on their behalf um the nobel which i also didn't realize had discovered dynamite i yeah. think was involved in that yeah. but they said that you know and, and that in itself had, had created incredible opportunities as well as these horrific weapons of war and destruction mm. but that you know, whether mankind should discover the secrets of nature is the big question. I mean, these things already exist. Mm. We are merely pinpointing them. But I think they were aware, obviously not of the extent, but that, that this could be, you know, what would happen to their discovery and their, their baby or whatever mm. when in the future. 
which is interesting. I just remembered something. I once got thrown out of a biology lesson at school for reading Empire magazine. <laughs> at, the, at the back of the class, Mr. Bodley. I mean, there are some science teachers at school that will be choking to hear that I'm playing <laughs> Pierre Curie. <laughs> but I was literally thrown out. Me and my mate Dan Stewart, we were discussing something written in Empire magazine at the back of the room. Do you remember what it was? I don't remember. But I mean, Empire was really a big educational thing, you know, back back then, back in the in the nineties, whatever. It had to it was where I learned a huge amount about cinema because mm. it wasn't you couldn't you had to read about films then you couldn't just like go and <laughs> go and get them you know they weren't yeah. at your fingertips so yeah. you, you know i knew a lot about films that i'd never seen you know but but then <laughs> then chase them up in in the future who knows if you pursued a different avenue you might have been interviewing well not me because i would never be able to do what you do but uh, you could have not... gone down that direction you could have been podcasting sam imagine yeah, that oh. imagine that yeah all those lost opportunities <laughs> Oh yeah, no, no, no shame. <laughs> and also, it could have been a lot worse. You could have been reading something much worse than Empire at the uh, at the back of your class. Yeah, you could. Have been oh, reading- well, I I got caught for that once as well. The <laughs> Shannon Doherty article of Playboy. Oh, you, oh, you so read- I, paid, I bought it off a six former for a lot of money. <laughs> but De- uh, Beverly Hills nine hundred two and I was popular by then. <laughs> but I was sorry, I bought it for the articles. Yeah. Doesn't doesn't That's, wash. Yeah, that well, yeah. doesn't wash. Doesn't wash. Uh, but you mentioned there that you, when you took this role on, that it was you, you, one of the appeals was that it was different to things you've done in the past. And and looking at your your CV over the years since you you know, broke through with control, you have moved around. You have made left field choices. You've never really done the obvious thing. Yes. And I imagine after I was con- never offered the obvious. <laughs> I imagine you were. <laughs> uh, I imagine after control. I mean, we had a conversation once. You, you won't remember this, I'm sure, but uh, the Empire Awards years and years ago, and you were talking about how after control, a phalanx of agents had descended upon you from yeah. from Hollywood and tried to do that Hollywood that molding thing that they do and bring you over and, and do meetings, and that's, that's not really what you're interested in. I was a bit frightened by it, to be honest. You know, I I, I real I could you know I I'd, I'd followed careers of people and the film in business um for years and i didn't you know when 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 we watched the premiere of control in Cannes and they were they were queuing around the block to mm. see it and they were already saying very impressive things you know i sort of was already like okay i've got to you know how am i going to handle this mm. um and i didn't I didn't, you know, I, I had the feeling, and I, I'd, I'd been in the music business before doing this. You know, and we'd signed a major record deal when we could have stayed in an independent, mm. and it all went tits up, you know, mm. and, and I only had ourselves to blame for that, or the label, actually. I, I blame the label. <laughs> but, um, but I remember thinking, now, if I get another, that I've got this other opportunity to do something, that I, mm. I don't want to do it in a way that I haven't, that I'm not deciding myself, my mm. way, you know. Yeah, the, yeah, the Sid Vicious version yeah. of my way. <laughs> the, um, and so I resisted it. You know, I took things that I wanted to do rather than what I was told I ought to do in order to get things that I really wanted to do, if you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah. And, um, you know, instead of going to live in London after that, I went to go and live in Berlin and not go to Los Angeles. I mean, I went to Los Angeles. It was a mixture of things. I think they were slightly suspicious of my attitude. <laughs> and I was slightly suspicious of of theirs, um, but you know, I wanted. You know, I'm I'm happily married for ten years and to a very successful actress. And I think we've we also decided 
that we wanted to have a life, you know, and that we would take it in turns to do things. And, uh, you know, I, I'm glad you say that because I, you know, sometimes people say, you're after control, you know, and I think, well, I've been working for 14 years. I mean, <laughs> yeah, what what yeah. the fuck do you want? <laughs> you know, I'm in great things with great people. They're yeah. not all, you know, I think that the assumption was, oh, great, he's done control now. And now he'll be in a gym for nine months and then play a superhero, which mm-hmm. will then mean he can green light anything he wants. I mean, that is frustrating mm-hmm. that I can't green light anything I want, but. But that's the system, and I'm happy with my, with my, I'm, you know, I'm thrilled that I'm still working. <laughs> but it's all, it's all, you know, you you take the securitist route in, in a way because uh, you say you, you could have been playing a superhero, you could have been in the gym for nine months, but now you are finally in a comic book movie with with radioactive. Yeah, true. Yeah, <laughs> Which, just a little it's, around it's, the house. This was a round where no gym required, no, no sit ups, <laughs> no gym required. Couldn't you know, have the fake on fake beards? Yeah, everything fake. Yeah, the I had thing. a stick on six pack for Maleficent one actually. That was cool. <laughs> they. I, I immediately stopped doing my exercise regime. I was like, you're sticking that on? What am I doing all this for then? <laughs> they have stick on abs. Yeah. You need to put me in touch with these people. These were great. They turn, they get pretty gross after a day on a, on a, on a film okay. set. You know, you need to pack quite a few to go on holiday. <laughs> I would have two suitcases. <laughs> suitcases. One for my clothes, one and for the stick on abs. <laughs> um, coming up next for you, uh, I'm really excited about you're working with Ben Wheatley again on, yeah. on Rebecca. Third time. Uh, third time. Uh, no, you- there's, I've worked with many directors who said, we, we have to do this again. And he's the only one who's actually put his money where his mouth is. <laughs> Thank you, Ben. Love did, you. Did you sign a ten-picture deal when a you entered the Ben Wheatley asshole deal? In case, in case, anytime he needs a real rogue and the rent a rogue, um, rent a rogue, rent a ruffian, and so you know, I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm really, uh, you know, when I, I remember watching Kill List, um, while my wife was heavily pregnant, she used mm. to fall asleep really early, and I used to watch loads of movies. She woke up in exactly the hammer scene in Kill List and was like, "What have you been watching while I'm?" But I, I really wanted to work with Ben then, since watching Kill, you know, I saw he's a brilliant up-and-coming British director, and I'm, I was thrilled when I got Free Fire. You know, and Ben never really, you know, it was never, he just had faith in something, you know. He's just mm. like, oh, I'm sure you can play this hell-raising ass, you know, shit. <laughs> there was never any, you know, well, let's get him into tests or anything. It was just no like, no, you, you're yeah. doing this, you know, and I... I re- you know, I I relished it and and really felt supported by him. And I love working with him on Colin Happy New Year, Colin Burstow, mm-hmm. with my wife. And mm-hmm. you know, I'd work with him any any day. And I love working with Rebecca. And I think he's a great choice for it. You know, Army I know from Free Fire. Lily mm-hmm. was my Elizabeth Bennett. Yes, Pride, Prejudice, and Zombies. Classic. Six degrees of Sam Riley. Um, yeah, that, yeah, that was that used to be in the old empires. <laughs> Kevin Bacon, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think you know Ben does psychological thriller you know there's always had elements of that even during the power cut in Happy New Year Colin Burstead you're mm. not sure if they're all going to start stabbing each other <laughs> I was waiting as I was reading it going someone's going to die um, so I think he's a he's a great choice for that and I loved I really love playing this part Jack Favell I play he's the cousin of Rebecca mm. who may or may not have been having an affair with them. He's a rat. So the, the rent-a-rat, rent-a-rogue, rent-a-ruffian. Yeah, yeah, any day. Rent-a-Riley. Yeah, it's, it's great. It's, it's all there. He has you in speed dial, rogue. Yes, I'll do that. Uh, and of course, you know, Free Fire, uh, and Free Fire and Happy New Year, Colin Burstead, I think you probably got the the quintessential Ben Wheatley experience, which is 
fairly quick shoots, large ensemble casts. Bit of improv. Bit of improv, absolutely. Uh, uh, all-time great screen death in, in Free Fire. Spoiler alert for anyone who hasn't well, seen Well, you know what? And, and spoiler alert for Radioactive. It's the second time I've come... Uh, <laughs> That's a good point. <laughs> yeah. My poor... I remember just quickly, the, the premiere of Free Fire... Um, yeah. I get my I get squashed by a van and my head gets squashed. And during that, there was one particularly loud laugh in the audience, and it was my dad. <laughs> I recognised this laugh at the back. I was like, "Really, your eldest child <laughs> being crushed to death?" <laughs> Here we go by a mini van. <laughs> Amazing! It was your old biology teacher at the back. Yeah, going, that was finally, Mister Bodley. Yeah. <laughs> Finally, take that, Riley. It's a good name for a biology teacher, that. It is, isn't it? Yeah. You were bodied by bodily. Yeah, bodily by bodily. Thrown out for empire. Well, I'm glad that we could uh, square the circle. Yeah. All those years later. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> it's worked out nicely. Uh, Sam Riley, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks, man. Thank you. Thank you. Cheers. All right. So that was Sam Riley, owner of one of the most unique voices in movies. Uh, and Radioactive is out on DVD on July 31st. But now it's time to talk about the films you can watch from the comfort of your own sofa plex this week. And we're going to start with a, this is an interesting one because this kind of came out of nowhere. Uh, but at the same time, it's been sat on the shelf for a few years. It is the latest film from Philip Noyce, the great Australian director. And it's called Above Suspicion. And it stars Amelia Clark and Jack Houston. And you'd be surprised that a film with that cast and that pedigree would be sitting on the shelf waiting for distribution for a couple of years. But that is exactly what's happened. And then this week, out of nowhere, UK release... Hell's Bells. Yeah, it's a it's an old little film. This so it's the story of Susan Smith, who's Amelia Clark's character. Uh, she lives in a small Kentucky town, Pikesville, and she says there's two two ways to make it in the town: the drug business and the funeral business. And let me tell you, she is not an undertaker. So she's struggling with addiction. She's broke. She's stuck living with her ex husband, who's played by Johnny Knoxville. She's in a, a bad way. And then a new FBI agent came, comes to town. There's a small FBI office in town. He's Mark Putnam. He's played by Jack Houston. And um, he's looking for informants. He's looking for leads. He's looking to make a name for himself as a sort of newly qualified agent. And he is fascinating to Smith. And because she's very beautiful and looks like Daenerys, uh, she is also <laughs> fascinating to him pretty quickly. So their relationship gets, let's say, complicated very, very fast. Um, she ends up dead and we don't initially know how or why and it's not a spoiler to say that because it's literally the opening scenes it's narrated by Susan from beyond the grave and it's sort of uh well this is me you may be wondering how I got here kind of oh, a, uh, a setup um <laughs> oh, so there's that kind of well seriously but it is that kind of lovely bones no, I, <laughs> yes I guess it is it is that kind I of lovely bones attached uh, at, at, uh, approach to a, uh, a murder victim. I was thinking which, American Beauty in that kind of uh, setup. Yeah, yeah, I guess. Yes. And, but it feels like it's a weird, it was for me a little bit of a weird approach to take here. Um, it's a really, I think, strong story. There's very good performances here. And the basic idea of the story that, you know, essentially both of these people are in over their head and both of these people are kind of, um, have no clue what they're doing, to be perfectly honest. She's trying to kind of manipulate the FBI. She's she's moved on from welfare fraud to getting the FBI to pay her to be an, an informant. So she's, you know, she's trying to basically make her way out of her situation in whatever way is possible. Um, and he's trying to use her in the same way, first of all, as an informant and maybe more. Um, so they're both kind of 
out of control and they don't really realize to what degree they're out of control. And I think that um, Noyce deals really, really well with that aspect of the story, but just some things like that narration didn't strike me quite so well. I didn't, I didn't find quite so effective. Um, so it, it goes to some odd places. I think it's going for a little bit of a, almost a Zodiac feel, you know, that kind of um, the grim grind of trying to break a major case. Um, and it doesn't always quite stick the landing um, in that sense, which I imagine is why it has waited as long as it has for a distributor, given the cast and given the director. Um, but really, really good. Like all the supporting roles are filled out by, you know, faces you know and good actors, even when they're only in it for, you know, tiny, tiny moments. Um, it just didn't, it didn't have as much thrill as I think I want of my crime thrillers. Mm, could be. Yeah. I mean, I agree. I, 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 I couldn't really get behind this film that much. Um, and I think it was the line, there's a line early on when she's, uh, she said, when she first sees Mark Putnam, uh, played by Jack Houston, and she says, the first time I saw Mark Putnam, I thought it looked like a picture in a magazine, like he stepped out of a dream. And I just, from that line, you know exactly what's going to happen with the rest of the film. And I just didn't think it was that interesting. I feel, I felt that she, um, Susan character was very, very put upon. And there's some horrendous scenes where she's, she's beaten by a few, a variety of different people in there. But ultimately, I just didn't really care that much unfortunately um which is really sad no but they, they, you're right because they do really commit to making everybody very troubled and very mm -hmm. nuanced and and unlikable to some degree here so you're not necessarily rooting for susan the whole time she is not a heroine in any traditional sense um but at the same time she's a victim and mm -hmm. i feel like that you know it's a very fine line to walk between yeah. between the two um characters yeah she's good though She's very good, yeah. Great, great yeah. performance from from Amelia yeah. in particular. Yeah, especially I Amelia. Mean, it's a hell of an accent, you know, because it's, it's mm. you know, and that you know, it, it sounds almost sometimes like a parody, you know, that y'all and then you know Kentucky and all that sort of stuff. And it's just it's, but she's she nails it. She really does. She's you know she's she feels she's believable, and that's the the, the important thing. Mm. Shout out as well with Johnny Knoxville who plays yeah. her odious ex-husband who's an abusive drug dealer um, and as he gets older and his face gets more and more weathered he's becoming a much more interesting actor than he was uh, back in the day I think so yeah be, one day he'll be able to play a real life bad grandpa and it's going to be very very interesting <laughs> but uh, we gave this one three stars and it's kind of hard to disagree it is good and it's sad to see that it has been shelved because it's one of those absolutely solid well-made movies but three stars then four Above suspicion. Next up, we have Clemency, uh, which stars Alfred Woodard as a prison warden who um, has a rather interesting relationship with the death penalty, shall we say, Jimbo? Yeah. So this is a film written by, written and directed by Chinonya Chuku, and uh, it stars Alfred Woodard as Bernadine Williams. She is the warden of a prison about to oversee her twelfth execution uh, by lethal injection, and. Yes, it's a death row drama, but this is an interesting one because it's it's character-led, not issue-led. This whole film is about her point of view. It's from the point of view of the warden of the prison, and Woodard is absolutely extraordinary in this role. Uh, mm -hmm. And it's, a, it's, it's absolutely powerhouse performance. And it's the emotional turmoil she goes through having the cumulative toll of having to take these men's lives. Uh, and uh, Aldous Hodge plays Anthony Woods, who's been accused of the murder of a police officer. He's been on death row for some time. 
the film starts with a botched execution of a of a, another inmate, and it's the build up to this to, to Anthony Woods' execution that is the substance of this film, and how Bernadine is dealing with that, and how her marriage she's uh, she's married to uh, Wendell Pierce in this. It's obviously another great actor, uh, and it's how it takes its toll on her professional life, on her personal life, and how she can't get away from this job. She can't just quit it. She can't leave it. She's almost addicted to it. She's entangled with it but the toll it takes on her is enormous uh, and i think it's a really interesting perspective to look at this i mean it's quite a thorny issue but to look at not the effect it has on the executed or their loved ones or the families of the victim but to look at the warden someone who essentially has to enact this execution but who has no power to to you know grant clemency to stop it to change it in any way she's a slave to the system in which she operates and i think that impotence takes an incredible toll and some i mean some of the you know it sounds reductive but it really isn't the face acting on alfie wood in this and some of these scenes is like something i have never seen where the camera just hangs on her face and the emotions and the hurt and the agony that goes through her face it is a phenomenal performance from her uh, richard schiff the west wing's the great richard schiff i thought that's what <laughs> you get from the west with. wing is of course yes this is a film that stars richard schiff as heroic lawyer marty Lumetta. No, uh, he's, he's, he's a lot of fun in this uh, because he's Richard Schiff, but he's really good as a kind of the soulful defense attorney who's, this is, you know, his last case. I think he's been ground down by this system where clemency is a pipe dream more often than not. Um, You've also got the West Wing's Michael O'Neill, Ron Butterfield from the West Wing, as uh, chaplain David Kendrick. So really, this is a, a West Wing spin-off. Um, and again, he's another one. He's a chaplain who's there to read Last Whites to comfort these these prisoners as they go through the final hours. And he's another one who's been beaten and ground down. So the, the kind of theme of this film is all of the cogs in this machine, all of the people kind of adjacent to the process of state-sanctioned violence, you know, the toll it takes on them, how it does grind them down and kind of reduce them to nothing. Uh, so it's a very powerful powerful way of indirectly tackling this issue i i i I mean, I was about to say I really enjoyed this film. Enjoy isn't the word. This is a relentlessly bleak film. There mm. is no light in this whatsoever. It is really, really brutal. And it, and it takes a toll on you as the viewer. Like, it's it's a difficult watch. But I think it's an important one. And, you know, for the performances alone, it's, it's you know, it is it is a good film. It's not plot heavy, but it's it's emotionally resonant, I would say. I think when, when it starts out with a botched execution and with lethal injection, what's happening is that... It, the, the guy's due to be executed literally is so shit scared they can't find a vein in his body yeah. that's suitable. <laughs> that just kind of sets this the oh, score up for, for, for this. And um like you said, this perspective of 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 uh, Bernadine and the and the Reverend and Bernie's uh, husband and everyone who's in this system who has to be a part of it is such a such a unique one because it must take your toll. And for someone how can you do this job if you have like even a shred of compassion to you um, when you're working and dealing with these people day in, day out, and you can see whether they're guilty or not, that you're going to have to consign these guys to to death effectively. It's just, it's just kind of harrowing. And I think um, Alfred Woodard is, is, is stunning in this. I think she's a fantastic actor. Mm-hmm. Um, and this, like, as you said, James, there's some shots in this when it's just on her face and the tear comes down. But um, I think everyone pulled, pulled out a great performance here. And mm. I was, it, uh, also, I'd like to put a shout out for Dennis Haskins, aka Mr. Belding from Say by the Bell, who I <laughs> my eyes nearly popped out of my head when I'd seen him <laughs> seen him appear in this uh, as a sign. But uh, Aldous Hodge is great in this as well, and we last yeah. saw him in Invisible Man um, in in a great role. So I want to see more from him in the future. Mm. Perhaps as Aaron Burr in Hamilton. 
Hey, he's a good yes, one, actually. She, yeah. yeah. I said that. I said him. I know you did. <laughs> um, I, yeah, I think this is... Um, I, I don't think this is sort of side-on approach to the death penalty. I think it's absolutely head-on uh, in a way. So I'd slightly disagree with James on that. Um, but I do think this this sort of highlights just some of the inhumanity and the cruelty of the system mm. where you sit on death row for at least a decade in almost mm. all cases and easily over two. I looked up the other day and, and uh, a guy whose case I worked on when I was in Texas has still not been executed. He's still waiting. And that's um, nearly 20 years later. Jeez. And he's been convicted several years before that. Um, so it's it's an inhumane system and every... Uh, noise they make about making it more humane just just is unconvincing, let's say. And but yeah, I, th I just think it's a, it's a really rounded um, way of looking at um, this uh, inhumane law and and of showing how badly it, it functions, even when everything is technically functioning. Um, I think uh, it's a really really strong performance from Aldous Hodge as well. I mean, it almost if you were looking to make a a film that showed that was really truly nuanced about the death penalty. You'd have someone who was absolutely a hundred percent nailed on guilty, and mm. I don't feel like we get that from him. Um, this seems like a, a a case that's incredibly difficult, precisely because there is at the very least a strong um, suspicion that he was innocent. But the fact is, like it doesn't matter anyway. Even if even if you're guilty, you probably only get the death penalty if you're also poor and have a bad lawyer. Like it doesn't happen. To rich people, generally speaking, it doesn't happen um, to people who kill black victims, generally speaking. It happens to people who kill white victims. Um, it is uh, an appalling, racist, unjust system, and I hate mm -hmm. it. And that's why I this film really, really got to me quite as hard as it did. But I think it would have anyway. I think it would have um, just because of the performances. And as you say, Alfred Woodard is just magisterial in this. She's mm -hmm. incredible. Yes, fully agreed. Uh, phenomenal performance. And uh, I have to say, this film and the next film we're going to discuss, The Beach House, both have really, really good last shots, by mm. the way. So, uh, so look out for those. But yeah, Alfred Woodard is fantastic. Not much else to add to these guys. But yeah, it's interesting because I remember, Helen, you did work, didn't you, with death row um, inmates and whatnot? I mean, yeah, briefly. I interned and did some paperwork, yeah. really. I don't want to build, big up my role at all, but um, yeah. I basically did some paperwork. But I, I just did a lot of reading about the death penalty, obviously, while I was yeah. out there and, and before I went. And I just... There's no argument for it. It doesn't deter people. It isn't effective. Mm. Um, it isn't cheaper. Uh, you know, there there is no argument. No matter how cold blooded you want to be, there is no argument. It's not consistently applied. Mm. Um, like I say, it's racist. It's classist. It's sexist. It's it's just the worst. It shouldn't exist. It's 2020, people. This is insane. Um, well, this has been a fun episode of the Empire <laughs> Podcast, hasn't it? It really yeah. has. Uh, four stars then for Clemency. It is absolutely fantastic. And just keeping that fun vibe going, it's time for the end of the world in the beach house. Yay! <laughs> Kobe, tell us about this. So the Beach House tells the story of an aspiring astrobiologist, which is a job. I checked it, I checked it out. Um, Emily, as she's played by Liana Liberato, and her kind of estranged boyfriend, and they're trying to uh, rekindle their relationship by going to going for away, going away for a weekend to a house by the beach. Hence. <laughs> Well, that's a very clever title. Wait, hang on. I need to make some notes and figure this out. How? Right, yes. so, right, so the house by the beach. Okay, beach gotcha. House. Yeah, got right. Okay, got it. Got okay. it. Thanks. Yeah. And yeah, they get there. They get canoed in quite quickly, and but they think they're alone, but they're not alone. <gasps> they find out 
quite quickly um, that they're actually been joined by one of Randy, who is uh, who is Emily's uh, boyfriend, uh, Randy's parents' friends, and you know they have they share an evening with them and share some uh, illicit substances with them, and things go a bit weird and freaky and spooky, and you think that the tension. It's going to come from this this scenario where you think it's a two hand, and then there's suddenly these two kind of strangest people have joined you in this house. But no, it's kind of a the setup is similar to The Last of Us uh, and like the girl with all the gifts, where there's like a microbe in the in the air that infect, infects people and turns them into some kind of undead, some kind of zombie type creature. Yeah. Um, and it's got you know essences of body horror in there, which I I found quite grim. But mm. ultimately. Um, I again another film I couldn't really get behind. I just didn't really care about anyone involved in this. Randy, mm. um, Emily's boyfriend in this is such a tool, right, right from the start. <laughs> he really is, yeah. isn't he? And he really is. She, she's like so. This this they're in this remote, I don't know, enclave near, next to the beach, hence beach house. And he said, "Well, why do you just stay here with me? We can live here all year. It's open." And she's like, "Well, what about my?" graduate degree i want to finish that and he just basically said well it's bollocks isn't it this astrobiology stuff is bollocks <laughs> and i was just like well yeah, I, he's a real cat yeah i don't mm. i don't care about you uh emily's quite a good character but ultimately i just don't know where it's going with this i don't really know where it's going yeah. some of the body horror stuff is quite gross uh which freaked me out a bit which is nice um but i think like i said the girl with all the gifts i think if you you talk about spore uh, microbes infecting bodies and turning into kind of zombie type mm. creatures does it a lot better and with a lot, a lot more better. interest. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Liana Liberato was, of course, in Banana Split that we reviewed a few podcasts ago. She's she's pretty good in this, I thought, you know, in the lead role. But as you say, I couldn't get behind anyone else. This had, had got some quite decent buzz as a kind of hot, low-budget horror. So I yes. was pretty disappointed by this. Um, I found it quite clumsy at the beginning. As you say, she's an astrobiologist talking about sort of alien life and how it might have evolved in the oceans. And there's this painfully on-the-nose discussion where she talks about how, you know, the real alien life isn't out there. It'll be in our seas. And it'll and I'm like, oh, my God, this foreshadowing <laughs> is so clumsy. You're beating me around the head with a foreshadowing <laughs> anvil. And by a strange um, coincidence, that very <laughs> nice. Yeah, I know. It's just, it's painful. I was like, Chekhov's oh. microbes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it is. Absolutely that. And then, you know, as you say, when the body horror stuff kicks in, it is deeply unpleasant. I'm not a fan of body horror. I mean, I guess if you are into body horror for some reason, and I guess this does this reasonably well, but it doesn't go anywhere particularly surprising. You can kind of, I think, plot out where it's going to go from the get-go. And it's it's quite slow paced. It doesn't do anything in a hurry. And I didn't find it particularly scary. And I didn't find the the atmospherics of it particularly, you know, dripping with dread either. Uh, and I just watching this thinking, I can think of many, many other low-budget horror films that are more engaging, more original, more interesting. Mm. And this just felt like a bit of a, a, a damp microbial squib to me. I don't know. I thought this was pretty effectively nasty. I, you know, I... <sighs> To talk about it in depth without spoiling it is difficult. So you know, but you know, it, it's it's a movie that has perhaps it's perhaps more focused on the message than it is on the way it conveys that message. You know, so you know, it's perhaps less focused on getting the characters right than it is on pushing this sort of almost environmental message. Um, 
which isn't new. A lot of films have, have done it over the, over the last few years. Um, you know, there's certainly, it's a big preoccupation right now. It felt very pandemic-y to me. It was one of those, you know, this is, it's a, it's a very interesting movie to watch in lockdown because essentially these characters are in lockdown. And I think the writer, director, Jeffrey A. Brown, uh, conjures up a nice feeling of, of emptiness. You know, they're on this beach, they're at this beach house. It seems to be decent weather, but there's just nobody around. Um, and that's quite eerie and unsettling. The gore stuff is going to be good for the gore hounds. The performances are decent. Uh, but here's something that'll make you, that'll unsettle you even more than anything that happens in the film. Noah LeGrosse, who plays Randy, is the son of James LeGrosse. Uh, which who was, you know, in the likes of Drugstore Cowboy and Living in Oblivion and was tipped as the next Brad Pitt a few mm. years ago. And, uh, you know, and that just makes me feel really, really, really <laughs> fucking old. Um, but yeah, I think it's well worth a shout. I will say that this is available only on Shudder. If you like gore and you like a little bit of existential dread of a, of a morning, then uh, I would check out The Beach House. I thought it was pretty decent, to be honest. Um we don't have a review of that, but I think James and uh, Kobe are in two-star category, yeah. and I'm more in the three-star category. But uh, yes, do check it out. Above Suspicion and Clemency are both available as PVOD, as they say, in these new and uncertain times. Uh, so they'll be available pretty much anywhere you can rent or buy a film. So iTunes, Sky Store, Microsoft, wherever you, wherever you fancy. But The Beach House is exclusive to Shutter. And on that note, that is it for this week's Empire Podcast. Kobe, you've you've made it to the end of your first Empire Podcast. You have Thank now experienced firsthand the Yay! epic shit show that is recording that <laughs> Empire Podcast. Uh, your your beard is now one inch longer than it was when you began. Uh, how was it for you? Um, my beard is also grayer. Oh, great. Thank you very much, guys. For I really enjoyed it. Um, I will get a. I'm gonna deep. I'm gonna delve deep into the facts next time and make sure they are triple verified. But um, I think. I think. Yeah, the... Make sure their facts would be good. I mean... <laughs> <laughs> but thank you very much. It was, it's been a. It's been a pleasure. Where can people find you? So you can find me. Uh, I am Cobe Star everywhere on the internet on Instagram and Twitter. So find me there. Please do look us out on Flix Watcher and. Um, I guess when you go and flick watch look for films that you like. Um, the Fugitive is now the highest rated joint film uh, on flick watch alongside When Harry Met Sally. So we interview, we talk wow. about a range of films. Uh, Helen, you chose Hearts Beat Loud, I think, which is one of my recent favorite oh, films. That's right, yeah. On. Great film. In fact, Kiersey uh, Clemens from that movie was one of my choices for oh, uh, Angelica. Yeah. Oh, that's, she's a good call. That's, yeah. a, that's a big shout. Yeah, Kiersey Clemens is one of my legit favorite people in the world, um, as is... Um, <laughs> Her dad, whose name escapes me, Nick Offerman. Nick Offerman. No, the Offerman, of course. Nick um, Offerman, who does he's he's uh, he's contributed a sleep story. So uh, you know, we've been listening to sleep stories, my wife and I, uh, recently. They don't work on me at all. They, they she <laughs> she passes out within seconds of listening to them. But the array of people that you know on on this app, I think it's called Cam, that uh, that okay. are, are, that narrate these sleep stories is incredible. So Nick Offerman's on there. He Ooh. you know, and in that really you know soft Nick Offerman. His voice is amazing. And you oh. just you know, but it doesn't work on me at all. I'm still wide awake at the end of it because I'm listening to the story going. Oh, tell me, Nick, what happens next to the big bad wolf, Nick Offerman? Um, but then you got Evergreens on there. Harry Styles popped up doing one this week. Harry fucking Styles did one. You know, it's just it's really lovely and relaxing. But uh, anyway, yes, Nick Offerman and Kirsty Clemens be like them. Yeah. So Flix Watcher, guys. Uh, so so, so Flix Watcher on the internet and also the Wire Stripped. If you're a fan of the Wire and want to know more about it and everything these, everything about yeah, it everything, everything about it and all these guys here that you're speaking to here from now helen well helen's in season three um and chris 
and James are in season two talking about talking about those seasons and specific scenes in those. And listen, while we're talking about podcasts that you should listen to as well, uh, Spoiler Special subscribers, subscribers to the Spoiler Special podcasts uh, will have found this week, speaking of John Wick, uh, our John Wick Retro Spoiler Special, uh, all two and a half hours of it with uh, the director Chance Tehelski contributing at least an hour of that, <laughs> uh, talking about the film in great detail. Always fun talking to Chad. And that completes our John Wick Spoiler special trilogy so now the onus is on them to make John Wick chapter 4 quick fucking smart so we could do another one of those so that's available now to spoiler special subscribers recent spoiler specials include of course uh, Christopher McQuarrie on Jack Reacher and Judd Apatow on the King of Staten Island uh, and Gareth Evans and Corin Hardy on episodes 1 to 4 of Gangs of London episode 5 with Gareth Evans of Gangs of London will be up very very soon Um, I think I can announce this uh, we will be doing a Hamilton spoiler special at some point. Uh, let's just going to be the team. But uh, this week, was it this week? It may even have been last week. I think it was actually last week. I recorded a spoiler special with one Edgar Wright for Scott Pilgrim versus the world. And that's going to be up in August. And there's going to be loads of other great spoiler specials, retro and otherwise, coming your way. So if you don't already subscribe, go to my Twitter. My Twitter is still there. Okay, so go to (laughs) at Chris Hewitt. Check my pinned tweet. And there are all the details of how to subscribe. Go to glow.fm forward slash Empire Film. That is all there already. I just can't access the thing (laughs) at the moment. So hopefully that'll be resolved soon. But... Uh, we would really appreciate your support, uh, especially during these these difficult times. It allows us to keep making the podcast and make it as good, <laughs> air quotes, as uh, it can possibly be. Not good enough to win uh, an award at the British Podcast Awards, but hey-ho. Um, but we're not bitter. We're not bitter at all. Uh, the last part of our Greatest Movie Heroes podcast is also up as well. Um, and in, in case of spectacular timing, that podcast went up a week and a half after the issue it was meant to promote uh, went <laughs> off sale. So, well done. On me. Uh, while we are, of course, pushing podcasts, I should mention that the Pilot TV podcast is available for your listening pleasure every single Monday for some <laughs> small screen entertainment. I should also mention one of the Empire's contributors, Al Horner, the lovely Al Horner, has got his own new podcast called Script Apart, mm. uh, where he talks to screenwriters and he gets screenwriters to re- revisit their first draft of their movie, talking about everything that's changed on the journey from kind of script to screen. Uh, he's done Fighting With My Family with Stephen Merchant. He's done uh, Attack the block with Joe Cornish and his most recent one uh, is with David Hayter talking about uh, the screen the 2009 uh, talking about his screenplay for Watchmen so that's why I was the center of that indeed you are I was on set of that. I met David Hayter on the set of that uh, when he was working on that with Paul Greengrass. I saw well, Al had you on the podcast to talk about it. Well, no, I think David Hayter's probably be a better place than <laughs> I am uh, for my one day. But I saw th- shit that you people wouldn't believe. Um, yeah. Sadly, never, never happened. But uh, I listen. I like the Zack Snyder movie just fine. Speaking of shit you wouldn't believe, can oh, I just hello. say, a couple yes. of people have got in touch with me on Twitter to, to clarify this. Um, when I was talking about... Uh, John, uh, Stephen Fry playing a Q figure in Hamley's. Mm-hmm. I was thinking of Stormbreaker. It didn't happen in Bond. See, nobody's seen Stormbreaker. So yeah, that's... a bunch of people have. <laughs> Even I'm expensive that hasn't seen Stormbreaker. <laughs> <laughs> and that is definitely it. Anyone else? Anyone else got any podcasts they want to plug? Kobe, you've already plugged your 47 podcasts that you do. Uh, Jimbo, Helen, no, we're all no, good. No, no. 
No, we, we can leave. Yeah, can we leave. Yeah. Yeah. Let's go have lunch. I'd like to eat. Pilot TV podcast episode. Fuck, shut the fuck up. Shut the fuck up. Call it full Barbra Streisand. Shut the fuck up. This one. Um, I'm going to. Anyway, that is it for this week's Empire Pod. She's recorded, Helen. There's an actual recording of Barbara Streisand saying, shut the fuck up, uh, which is absolutely amazing. Anyway. That is it for this week's Empire Podcast. I promise you, join us next week for more film-related fun where we'll be joined by, I've absolutely no idea who. I've got a sneaking suspicion I know who it is, but I'm not going to say it because then they won't happen and I'll look very, very stupid indeed. Uh, but do join us next week for more film-related fun. But until then, until that auspicious occasion, until we meet again, it is goodbye from Kobe Amanaka. Thank you very much, guys. It's been a pleasure. It's been a pleasure having you, sir. It is goodbye from James Dyer. I've tweeted you my goodbye, Chris. Unfortunately, you can't see it. (laughs) (laughs) Hashtag insufferable prick. It is goodbye from Helen O'Hara. Toodaloo. Hey. (laughs) I have no energy to think of new things to say. It should be perfectly obvious. Yeah, this is true. This is true. And it's goodbye from me. Listen, I don't play the film fact section. I just chair the film fact section. But if I did play the film fact section, I'm going to leave you with something that would have won this week uh, that has just come up on Twitter because I can still read Twitter. I just can't fucking write anything. a revelation that Cary Grant went to an Alice Cooper concert uh, at some point in the 1970s. This has been revealed by his former lover, Maureen Donaldson, and I'm going to read out the quote to leave you with as a little parting shot. There was a concert scheduled for San Diego. Cary insisted he go incognito, so I disguised him as best I could in the style of a more than slightly seedy agent. I wrapped sunglasses around Cary's eyes, a gold chain around his neck, and a checkered jacket around his shoulders, sharkskin pants. I will say Cary did his best. He wore earplugs and sat through the entire show without one word of complaint. He sat through the beheading and the contortions with the snake and the rest. Driving back to Los Angeles, I congratulated Carrie for being such a good sport. He'd made an extraordinary effort to please me. You really hated it, didn't you? It's, he said, struggling for words. You know what it's like? Remember I told you about the time I took LSD in my doctor's office and shat all over his rug and floor? Yes, I said. Well, now I know how that poor doctor felt. And on that Cary Grant going to Alice Cooper and shitting all over a doctor's floor bombshell, it's goodbye from me. Thanks so much for listening. See you next week. Bye. Bye.